Yeah, so there's a bit in the in the hatchery with uh, Henry Wu, who we remember, I'm sure, from the books. Um, enjoy this scene with him, because it's the only one we're going to get <laughs> until four films later. <laughs> uh, Hammond says, check the vending machines. Try and find Nedry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's fallen asleep next to one of them again. Yeah. Maybe he's just hugging one. And they see there's a little blinking light, which means they've just got to restart everything and restart the generator, which just happens to be a short walk across the compound next to the Velociraptor pen, but sure, that's going to be fine. Welcome back to Shark Live Royal. Hello. Hey, not yet, not yet. What? What? You're giving a welcome back, I'm giving a welcome back. I'm happy, can I tell you? Hang on. Hello. Welcome back to Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And we're back after the summer. We've got a uh, fairly unusual podcast for you today, because uh, this is a, obviously, as you well know, this is a podcast about books, um, and today we're not doing one about a book. Uh, we're kind of rounding off the Jurassic Park uh, run that we did just before the summer, where we did the book in a series of, I think it was four parts. Today's going to be about the film Jurassic Park uh, before we dive back into the uh, the books next week uh, with an Agatha Christie book, I think. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we don't give a shit about protocol. We will follow dinosaurs with fussy Belgian detectives. Yeah, they don't play by the rules, you see, in this. Yeah, yeah, we've had it up to here with your rules. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Jurassic Park, the film... Probably, Jurassic Park. Yeah, probably the way most people first come across Jurassic Park. Certainly the way I did. Absolutely, me too, yeah. I mean, I, and we're of the right age as well, aren't we? Where, like, this was... I, I don't know if it was just that there were fewer, like, massive event blockbuster movies back then, mm. or if Jurassic Park just ate the opposition. <laughs> but it was like, there was... No, I mean, these days you've got, like, a major banner release coming out every couple of weeks, whereas then it was like... Your summer will be about dinosaurs. You're welcome. <laughs> was very much the sort of vibe of it, and everybody just went mental for it. Yeah. Now, we're going to do this similar to the way we do books. So in the books, as you know, we do chapter by chapter, page by page. Uh, so we'll go through this pretty much scene by scene. Um, now, in, my prep, in our preparation for this, uh, one... We've watched this right, haven't we? We basically hired out a cinema and watched this <laughs> over the summer. <laughs> so. That does make us sound a lot better funded than I think we actually are for a podcast <laughs> outside. We should make it clear that this was in um, this was in Cambodia. Uh, where where, should we should we do a shout out shout out for the guys yeah definitely yeah yeah so shout out for the flicks in Cambodia who are fantastic volunteer run. cinema who they are fantastic for many reasons not the least of which is um if you give them about 20 quid you can hire out the cinema so we did that and watched dinosaurs and for me for the first time on a on a cinema sized screen and it was unbelievable mm. it's excellent yeah. how was it for you because you saw it in the cinema when you were a kid didn't you yeah when i was about 10 or something and and yeah it was it was great just really i mean i must have seen this film 10 20 times since so yeah, yeah. you know it was great every christmas Matt, it. every christmas <laughs> yeah um i also got the film on uh when i was when i was younger when we went abroad <laughs> my dad sourced it me on dodgy 
oh, pirate, no. pirate VHS because it wasn't out yet. <laughs> Hashtag nineties. Um, yeah, which was there were two. I mean, I absolutely I watched that. I watched the pirate d- d- video probably ten times or something. And uh, there were two major issues with it. One was it, the picture quality was so bad that sometimes you couldn't really tell what was going on. <laughs> and, and two, um, the the film cut off uh, before the end. Basically, well, I'll, when we get to the bit, I'll say this is basically the point where Jurassic Park ended for me for about <laughs> six months. Um, but yeah. um, Which, well, uh, yeah, tell us about that when you get there, because I'm, I'm quite interested to imagine what your emotional experience must have been sort of <laughs> discovering there was another five minutes of the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, as part of the preparation for this today, obviously I've, I've put a synopsis together, and uh, I also tracked down on the internet what appears to be the original script really? for the film. Yeah. Holy crap, that's awesome. Yeah, so there are a few little bits and pieces that seem to have been dropped in, you know, but didn't make the final cut as well, so I'll mention those as we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But let's let's get into it, because we're a few minutes in now. So it starts off, and our first experience at Jurassic Park, you're, you're sort of in this island, uh, sort of industrially-looking uh, compound on this tropical island, and basically, the guy who we later find out is Muldoon, the park's game warden, is supervising the sort of entry of one of the dinosaurs into the park. Uh, so there's all these sort of stages where they've got this massive sort of cage thing, which they push up to the to this fence to go to the put put the dinosaur in the main compound, and they're going through all these steps. <laughs> there's a there's a construction worker who stands on top and like opens the gate. Um, do you know what his name is? What? It's Joffrey. Everyone's favourite <laughs> Game of Thrones up. villain. You know what? Yeah. I now feel 3,000% less sorry for that guy. <laughs> you do have to say that was a questionable unloading decision as well, wasn't it? Like, like yeah. have you not motors? Are there no pulleys? <laughs> Must you have a man standing on top of the box full of terrifying monster? This is the nineties, Dave. Terrifying... <laughs> 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 Listen, it will happen soon enough that people who weren't there think that the nineteen nineties was like the medieval era with more day glow Nike airs. Right? We don't have to pretend that that's the way it was. Right? They had motors. <laughs> but I, I do remember when we were watching this this summer. Um, there's the bit where uh, Muldoon says, "Joffrey, raise the gates," and I thought briefly. Did, did he just say what I thought he said? <laughs> well, yeah, Man, if I'd, have, if I'd have heard that, I would have ruined your movie-going experience. I'm very glad that you've got the sort of eagle ears for that one and you managed <laughs> to get on top of it and save it for now. Because I would have been sitting there for the first 20 minutes going, it's Joffrey, Joffrey's dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't last long, Joffrey. Um, as he's raising the gate, the, the raptor, it turns out, actually sort of, Runs and smashes into the back of the uh, the cage, so it pulls away from the from the wall, and then it's yeah. like this worker gets dragged in and, and killed. It does two good things here: one, it, it shows obviously that the dangers of, of of dinosaurs, and b how intelligent this one is to yeah. come up with a bit of a plan. Um, and it ends Clever with girl. yeah, sorry, it, it's coming. Spoiler. <laughs> And it ends with Muldoon shoot, uh, shouting "shooter," which apparently um, isn't in the original script. So they must have decided that later. Oh, really? See, I was going to mention that because I think that's something really interesting. Because, like, I was really struck by the difference between the book and the film in like the kind of 
how much gender plays a role in it mm. and how much I think that was very clearly Steven Spielberg's intention that he kind of wanted to put this whole thing about like um, gender and sex kind of into, into the whole thing. So it is kind of weird that he's yelling like, shoot her, shoot her. Because mm. I kind of, I mean, it's not because the dinosaur is female. Um, but I remember for the first few times I watched this, like I kind of, I didn't really make the connection because I'm an extraordinarily dense consumer of films and and i just i thought he sounded like he sounds quite london when he's delivering that line so i thought he was calling for a gun i thought he was like shooter shooter <laughs> give me a shooter <laughs> that would have been brilliant if he was just like white cockney wide boy <laughs> can you imagine though ray winston in that role now i'm taking nothing away from bob peck bob peck's yeah. a hero in that in in, in this in this film yeah. but can you imagine ray winston be sort of like, sort of like what Vincent D'Onofrio was trying to do in Jurassic World, only better because it's Ray Winston. <laughs> it'd be a very different film, wouldn't it, with Ray Winston? <laughs> yeah, well, it would be because the first time it'd be like it would be they'd be up like feeding the feeding the Velociraptors and introducing them for the first time, and he'd just be like, "Shut it, you dinosaur slags!" <laughs> and they would is the thing because it's Ray Winston. <laughs> what would be his? Uh, what would be his last line? Oh, you fucking mug. <laughs> I'm at it now, you brass, and I. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's the, uh, the that, that's the sort of sudden sudden end. So, so you know, we've got we've got a death already within the first couple of minutes. So yeah, they're not messing around. Are they? Sets the tone. Yeah. Well, but I tell you what, though, I think this is a really smart move because after this, for the next, is it like forty five minutes? Like, better part of an hour, there aren't any more dinosaurs. Yeah. There's, you know, they really, because we have the big reveal later on, which is beautiful, but I kind of, I mean, so clearly they had to do this in order to be like, it is a dinosaur movie, be cool. Yeah. Be cool, because yeah. we're about to go and look at skeletons in the ground and, you know, automatically moving cars and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it sort of teases you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. That's, that's Spielberg, he's a tease. <laughs> uh, then we cut... Slag. Sorry. <laughs> then we cut to uh, a lake... In the middle of nowhere, in this little sort of jungle of the Dominican Republic, and yeah. um, who's who's this balding, skinny, rafting novice floating towards <laughs> us? Turns out it's Donald Gennaro, who looks <laughs> nothing like I imagined from the books. <laughs> yeah, because in the book he's described as this sort of like he's cautious to be sure, and perhaps kind of situationally quite cowardly, but he's also <laughs> ripped. You know, yeah. he's this sort of like Donald Gennaro was thirty four. <laughs> you know, kind of, uh, you know, he carries a gun in his back holster and stuff. Whereas this guy is this, like, nervous, jittery dude in his mid-50s. Yeah. Uh, I think it's fair, it's fair to say film Gennaro hasn't seen the inside of a gym in the last 20 years, has he? That's, that's, well, except when um, when serving cease and desist orders and <laughs> accidental accidental claims <laughs> to <laughs> the owners of gym. <laughs> Uh, the as he's floating towards them, there are these two sort of uh, Hispanic guys sitting on the on the bank talking in Spanish, and apparently what they're saying is um, they're betting each other a thousand pesos that he falls in. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention that actually because it does seem to be quite a questionable choice on his part to sort of stand up on that thing. Yeah, like so. <laughs> So how expensive are his trousers such that he's willing to risk getting them absolutely soaked in a jungle river rather than just sit down 
You know, it's <laughs> not hard. Like, and you're much less likely to. F- oh, Donald, Donald, come on. You, you start poorly, and, and and you. Well, let's be honest. It's not going to get better from here, is it? <laughs> uh, so G- Gennaro's there to um, start to give us this exposition on. Uh, there's some problems around the park. Obviously, there's the. The issue, a construction worker has been killed, but there are wider concerns as well. I'm not going to go massively into sort of explaining plot this time, because we've kind of done it in the book. I'll just go over it if something differs from it. Um, but I thought this this is quite, I mean, this is quite good because they go down into the mines and he's, uh, he's looking around and the, yeah. the sort of diggers are hand, hand digging something. Obviously, there's no sort of dynamite or blasting as you would do in a normal mine. It's all very carefully done to preserve stuff. And at the end, they sort of find a bit more of this amber. And I always thought it was strange. I finally found out after all these years what this guy says. Oh, yeah, what does he say? So he says something like, because Grant's like me, a digger. And then he looks at this amber. And I always thought he says something like, Gelingos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we were saying, actually, weren't we, when watching it, what on earth is that? I've never heard of that Spanish word before. Um, Apparently, it's actually... I I que lindo, which uh, means you're so beautiful. So he's like, um, oh, that's that is really nice. Yeah, it's cool, isn't but, it? Well, I quite like that, and that, that actually is very in keeping with this like micro performance from from um, I forget his name, but I've seen him in other things. Hmm. Is it Miguel Sandoval? Possibly, uh, I'm making that up in my brain. The name okay. of the actor. Anyway, like I've seen him in other stuff. Great actor, and um, he's fantastic. He can get shorty as a uh, as a Colombian drug baron. Right, um, but um, that is my, I love that micro performance because it's it's he does seem to be kind of full of love for what he's doing, you know. Like yeah. he would he would be digging even if he wasn't getting paid for it. He seems to imply, yeah, you know. And then and then ah, you're so beautiful. I <laughs> I, I don't know. There's I don't know if I have such affection for the little tiny moments throughout this film because I've seen it so many times because I first saw it when I was a young child. Or if it's because everything is at this kind of pitch perfect, you know, everybody's putting in a performance that's exactly as big and as complicated as it needs to be. Yeah. And no more than that, you know. Um, but yeah, a great little example, I thought. Yeah. And a little example of my, um, the, the problems in the video quality of my uh, pirate video as well. Um, when I remember when I watched this on a proper copy once it finally came out in, in the UK. Um, <laughs> do you know the bit where he's sort of messing with his hat? where he's talking to someone, he's sort of holding his hat and running it through his fingers. Yeah, um, yeah. And I remember thinking when I saw it on the proper like, proper version, oh, it's a, he's holding a hat. I always assumed he had this like little tusk of ivory that he was playing with because he could just sort of see this... this sort of tusk bed. of ivory? <laughs> yeah. Now, how bad was this copy? Was it filmed <laughs> using a Betamax camera from the other side of the room? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think my mind must have just made the connection, oh, they're getting rare stuff together here. Maybe there's other rare stuff just knocking oh, around. Oh, it must be a tusk. Like, like elephant uh. tusks. Anyway. <laughs> um, moving on. We, uh, we th- yeah. then cut to our third location um, already, mm. and this is Montana, where uh, the Badlands of Montana, I love that name. Uh, where we meet Grant and Ellie, um, it's it's made clear uh, pretty. Oh well, let, let's let's take this one step at a time. So uh, mm. they're doing a they're at a they're at a dinosaur dig. They're using this sort of new technology as well um, to sort of see the skeleton before they even dig it up, which Grant doesn't like because he's not much of a fan of computers. Um, <laughs> and and then we have this annoying little fat kid who. Uh, 
who says that dinosaurs aren't scary, and Grant proceeds to scare the shit out of this poor kid. Shits him right up. I completely love that, like, because, because it's Sam Neill who's fundamentally, you know, a very kind of pleasant character, um, character actor and stuff, you kind of, you go with it. But you can just imagine that kid's parents, who were presumably somewhere on the dig, going over to him and going, what the fuck are you doing? What the... Just, if he's bothering you, tell him to go away. Don't give him <laughs> nightmares for the rest of time. <laughs> like, I, I, all of that said, I stand completely by Alan Grant's decision in this situation, and I think this shows that he would be a better parent than he might expect. <laughs> yeah. Um, we we actually get a bit of conversation about that as well. Um, two things two things really come out of this th- these, these conversations he has with Ellie at this, this point. A... Uh, Grant and Elliot are very much in sort of together in the film, mm. as opposed to mm. the book, where it's sort mm. of more of a teacher-pupil relationship, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And also, Grant has the opportunity here to talk about his theory of uh, dinosaurs turning into birds, which uh, mm-hmm. becomes a theme through the book. Um, mm-hmm. As well as he also has, as you say, this sort of impatience stroke aversion to kids. And they have this short conversation <laughs> about, do you not want to have kids in the future? And he's like, <laughs> not really. Yeah. They're noisy. They smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Although, again, nice character moments between the two of them, you know, where he's like, he's just really shit up this kid and he could be very unsympathetic. But then in that kind of like, she just laughs at him when he goes, they smell. She's <laughs> yeah. like, what? He's like, some of them smell. Babies smell. <laughs> just just like, I, I, I. I kind of love the back and forth between the two of them in that in that scene. Yeah, um, this is uh, interrupted by the sudden arrival of uh, John Hammond, uh, who is the guy who funds the dig uh, and also has sort of opened, well, not opened, but built Jurassic Park. Mm. And he invites him to the island, and they say sure because he's offering to fund the dig for the next three years. All very similar to to what you see in the book. This isn't it? Yes, although. The way he arrives in the film did sort of invite a sarcastic response from Alan and Ellie, which they didn't give, which, fair enough, you know, he's the money. But (laughs) I think there would have been a bit of me which was like, oh, good, thank you, because your fucking helicopter has just buried the last three years of work. So, (laughs) cheers. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Because, yeah, as the helicopter lands, it's still got its rotors spinning and Grant runs over and is like, turn it off. Oh, and the guy in the helicopter's like, meh. Yeah, what is he doing, the guy in the helicopter? He's like sort of points inside, doesn't he? Like, go see the boss. Yeah, he's go like, and talk to him. Yeah, I can't shut this thing off without the boss saying so. <laughs> that is the most Jobsworth thing I think I've ever heard. I am technically in control of an aircraft, but until somebody else tells me what to do, I'm just going to let it carry on doing what it does. Yeah, I reckon Don't it's... throw anything up in the air anywhere near these rotors, by the way. Dearie me, have your hand off. I reckon it's Gennaro in the pilot seat there, just saying, no, 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 <laughs> come speak to John. <laughs> anyway, um, we then cut away to uh, another, I mean, it's it, it's sort of a look at a different location after a different location here. We're getting all over the world. But um, mm. we go to a cafe in, I think it's Costa Rica, and it's the, it's the introduction to Dennis Nedry, uh, hey, who's Nedry. sitting there. Munching away on his on his uh, on his cafe food, uh, as as Dogson turns up, 
Hey, uh... He's, <laughs> he's so completely Dodgson, by the way. He doesn't call him Dogson. Like, I mean, I, I know, I know that you want to call him a son of a bitch in his actual name. <laughs> All right, Dodgson. Dodson, Dodson, anyway. Yeah, so... Uh, Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> so Nedry, uh, this guy called Dennis Nedry, is meeting Dodson, or Dodson, uh, who is really jumpy about being recognised, and Nedry has a bit of fun <laughs> with him about that. <laughs> he's such an asshat, isn't he, Dodson? <laughs> like, in the way that he's presented in this, it's just like, how are you an antagonist, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly enough as well, Dodson turns up in... Uh, the Lost World book, and he's quite an important yeah. character, but he isn't in the Lost World film. You'd love to have seen him get his comeuppance, though, wouldn't you? That's why yeah. he's in the second book. Yeah. Right? He's the, you know, in the, the first book, he's the kind of, he's the inciting incident. Yeah. Um, but in the second book, he, he's, you know, he really gets his, he gets his just desserts, but he doesn't in the film, which is a bit disappointing, really. Yeah, I think film Dodgson, though, isn't quite, like, ruthless looking enough. I think he, he looks too much like just some suit in a in some sort of khaki safari outfit. Um, he does and, look like he's in fancy dress. Doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think he needed to be a bit more, uh, especially sort of his character that develops in the in the Lost World book. He needs to be much more of a like risk taking bastard. Like, yeah, badass bastard. Yeah. Um, but anyway. So this is sort of the start of a a plan which we don't know too much about at the moment, but it basically seems to involve Nedry getting a load of money for delivering some embryos, um, mm. and uh, we find out a bit more obviously as we go along. There's also the bit where they show him the the shaving foam cam, um, and I think we might <laughs> mention this in the in the book podcast actually. But when he he tries out the shaving foam and then just puts it on some like apple pie or something next to him, <laughs> and I always yeah. seems to think. Well, what have, you know, it must have been disgusting for the poor son who ended up yeah, eating well, that. That's, oh, cream, brilliant. I tell you what, cream doesn't <laughs> usually survive either in hot, humid temperatures like Costa Rica, <laughs> such as where I find myself. I'm going to stuck into... Oh, 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 it's everywhere. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I like the... Um, oh, fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, oh, yeah, no, right. Here's a question for you out of this. Yeah. Did you know when you watched this scene for the first or even the 15th time what an embryo was? Um, I, I think I remember finding out after watching it the first time because I had no idea. I thought they were, it was basically... I mean, it's not hard to work out. It's basically pre the pre-baby bit, isn't it? It's what you inject into an egg to create a dinosaur, basically. Yeah, but, like, it's quite... I don't know, that feels like quite technical language. I mean, I just treated it as a MacGuffin. Like, uh, you know, you have to get the really important, valuable thing back to San Jose by then, you know, is all I heard. But yeah. I definitely remember a moment when, like, I don't know, a year or so later, when we actually did, like, the technical words for sex ed, I was like, oh, embryo. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right, cool, fair enough. Baby yeah. dinosaurs, makes sense, makes sense. But until that point, I was like, don't know what that word is. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, I suppose it, that's the, the great thing about it is you don't really need to. It's just basically the way it's presented. It's obviously just something of value. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real, real Hollywood storytelling. That don't worry about it. We're going to use the technical word, but you just need to know that it's important. Right? <laughs> yeah, it was funny actually. There was um, uh, it's a slight digression, but 
I was listening to a, a podcast recently about um, the the Walking Dead TV show, and oh, yeah. uh, and what the episode I've just seen, they're talking about how the fences are made of cold rolled steel, and apparently it's this this terms popped up in about five or six different TV shows all in the last year, and, and I think it's just sort of just some. I think it's said in the game Game of Thrones as well at some point. The, the, the gate's made of cold, really? cold rolled cold steel. Cold rolled steel. And no one really knows what it is. I think it's just some Hollywood term, which basically means really good sort of yeah. material. <laughs> okay, we need to come up with a name for this stuff. What are we going to call it? Can we call it badass steel? <laughs> mm, oh, I like the way you're thinking, but I feel like we need something that sounds a little bit more medieval-y, a little bit, little bit more plod drama-ish. Cold rolled steel. <laughs> Fuck off! That sounds like that sounds like oatmeal. What's cold rolled? What is it? You, you, you're falling down a hill in a cold place. What? No. Yeah. Cold rolled steel. We're having it. Cold rolled steel. <laughs> um, we, we cut to the helicopter, and uh, you've got Hammond, Grant, and Sattler, Gennaro. All these characters we've met before, and one new character. It's Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, and hey. he's sort of really kills it in this role probably more so than almost any of the other actors uh he really gets the essence of this character doesn't he i was really struck by that this time out particularly because he's given such uninteresting things to say most of the time like the second (laughs) half of the film his role is to lie places and bleed slowly (laughs) and that's it that's his role i mean obviously except for sort of like you know must go faster must go faster but um but the first half, just comp- oh, he's glorious. He's given almost nothing to say, but he says it in this incredibly magnetic way. <laughs> it's abs- absolutely great. I mean, you know, and he, he's just like, he, he somehow overacts without making it seem like overacting to the point where he literally barks at one point <laughs> in the helicopter. An, yeah, this he is barks. his super growly barky laugh, isn't it? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he goes, no, he kind of chuckles and then he laughs and then he kind of, then he, he just goes, Oh, fuck it, I'm halfway to dog anyway. <laughs> like, how are you, what? Like, imagine cracking that out in rehearsals for the first time and, and a, a, a director having the balls to be like, love it, absolutely love it, Jeff. Give me more of that. <laughs> yeah, So this and this is where his, um, it, he, his flirting with uh, Ellie begins, uh, which uh, continues throughout the first part of the film, uh, basically yeah. until he gets... Uh, horrendously injured um and yeah and he does his super grayly laugh as well uh we land on the island and we get our first sight of the dinosaur well one that isn't trying to kill someone anyway and it's uh it's one of the great lumbering brachiosaurs or brontosauruses as they've been known colloquially um but but we here at shark live royal we don't make mistakes like that no 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 no, no, no. no. so no. you know what it, this um this is the scene where I thought it still stands up pretty well. The CGI, even these days, even twenty years later. <laughs> did, did you? Because I actually that was I was I was experiencing a very strange feeling here of complete awe and wonderment as the film kind of presents you with a dinosaur, but also looking at it and going, "Oh yeah, you can tell that CGI for definite." Like <laughs> I was, I I felt like it didn't stand up as well as I'd wanted it to, and it was really there was a little piece of me inside that died when I looked at it and didn't go fucking hell it's a dinosaur but instead went oh, oh CGI yeah you know what actually I, I think I may have been a little romantic with it 
um, <laughs> and seen it through the eyes of ten-year-old no, me. Maintain, maintain your innocence, Matt. Stay in that place. No, do not no, open the box. No, because I think it, it is worth accepting that here because I think the bits where it still works very well, the CGI, um, yeah. is the the stuff at not, when when it's dark. Like yeah. the the T Rex breaking out and uh, a lot of the Raptor stuff in in dark places. Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, it's a combination of animatronics and and CGI. Yeah, yeah but no, I sure. think that stuff's held up much better than the the bright daytime thing. Because I think the thing that gives away CGI often is the difference in light uh, in yeah. lighting between the people and the computer stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes this yeah. look a bit strange with the. Uh, with the brachiosaur, but it's well, still yeah, an I mean, epic moment. Oh, it's yeah, it's beautiful. Like it's proper kind of wonder of cinema stuff. Like I mean, I think as I was watching that scene and remembering it and somewhat experiencing it again, I was reminded of. I actually, I honestly think it had been about ten years. It may even have been since the first time I saw that before I actually experienced that sort of like breathtaking wonderment in a cinema again. And that was at the Life of Pi. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, there's just some visuals in that which, like, legit stunned me um, and, and which I thought were just completely fantastic. But it was, it was a long time. So it's still an absolute classic piece of cinema, but there was definitely that piece of, like, yeah, yeah, definitely see the, the CG there. Having said that, though, I think it's worth pointing out that computers in 1992 or 93, when they were make, when they were finishing off the shots for this, were like orders of magnitude less powerful than a smartphone. Yeah, you know, like there's a bit of me which kind of wants to shout out to the guys who were doing CGI at that sort of a level in the early 90s and actually making it work on a on a cinema screen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we. We move on. Speaking of, you're going to see some of these old school computers in a minute because we take the tour um, where they they sit in this little sort of theatre and find out uh, a bit about. Uh, oh, before we go to that, should we? No, we've done it. We've done the mention. Um, should, the should, should, should we just mention before we go to the next scene the uh, one of the one of the classic lines as a. Uh, as sort of Grant's coming to terms with the fact he's just seen a dinosaur and John Hammond goes, my dear Dr. Sattler, Uh, Dr. Grant, welcome (laughs) Welcome to Jurassic Park. Have you seen the, there's a YouTube uh, video, which I'll I'll post on our Twitter, at Shartlev Royal, um, which is, (laughs) it's basically the, the film, that clip of the film with the soaring strings right up to the point where he says, Welcome to Jurassic Park. And then it cuts to a guy playing it on a melodica. (laughs) 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 It's really funny. Oh, man. Will will we never cease to plunder our cultural inheritance for cheap laughs and ironic gags? Dear me. Um, um, <coughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, it's a great scene, and I think it's, it's great enough to stand up to that sort of nonsense. There's another couple of great, great lines in that scene actually, which I really loved. Um, Hammond, like the world's foremost expert on dinosaurs, being reduced to just pointing at it and going, "It's, it's a dinosaur." I just, <laughs> I completely love that as like a, as a, like a melting down of this like leading paleontologist into the dinosaur obsessed boy he presumably once was and always has been, like. Yeah. 
it's a dinosaur. And that's exactly what I would say as well. And I think there's something really, there's something really beautiful actually in in being simply excited about something, even mm. if you are the world's foremost expert on it. Like not thinking that being an expert in it means somehow becoming becoming less connected to the simple amazement of it. Mm. Um, but it's just there, you know, he's right back to like, it's a dinosaur and that's the coolest thing in the world. And I just, I completely love that. I also, I also quite like, um, Malcolm giving it, you did it, you crazy son of a bitch, you did it. And the driver in front of him turns around and kind of like, what did you say? (laughs) I just, I really wish we'd stayed on them for a couple of minutes longer just to hear him go, yeah, that's my boss. You know, like (laughs) starting on him. How dare you diss the boss, man? (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure he'll be that little uh, that little worker will be dissing the boss man by the end of the film as well. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'd love it at the end of it. Just come over it. You were right, crazy son of a bitch. Apologies. <laughs> anyway, shall we? Um, the next scene is they're in this auditorium, um, taking the the tour of the park. They're basically finding out how the dinosaurs are made. The the uh, little little man that helps us understand this is Mr. DNA which is a cartoon they've made <laughs> Mr. up Mr. DNA <laughs> from yeah, your so blood like, I think this is a masterpiece of filmmaking this is genuinely <laughs> a superb piece of because the whole plot revolves around this one idea right which is that DNA is somehow a thing yeah and I don't know I didn't know what DNA was do you know what DNA was no no fucking knew what DNA was apart from people whose job it is to know what DNA is yeah. And and this was everybody knows what DNA is now. Mm. I think almost almost exclusively because of this one scene that made it understandable. Yeah, it's a very um, clever way of getting a, a very complex idea across very quickly, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's helped by the uh, this quick visit to the lab as well, where they're actually incubating the eggs, and um, they, they actually end up going to the lab because they just break the ride. They sort of they, they, they're going past the, the the bit where they can see the scientists working, and they just all decide to to basically break the ride so they can jump off and look. And I remember when I was little watching this, thinking, "That's really naughty. There's no one going to yeah. say anything. That, you can't do that." Tell them off. <laughs> <laughs> but Matt, Matt, you see, life finds a way. Yeah, hey, which is hey. uh, a line we get in this bit as well. Subtext. Yeah. Do you think it? Do you think it's also showing the just the brittle nature of the park? This as well, the fact that oh yeah, absolutely, no security. <laughs> There's hardly any security. I mean, it yeah. comes up again on the um, Triceratops bit later on when they just get yeah. out of the cars. But anyway, um, yeah. yeah. So there's a bit in the in the hatchery with uh, with the eggs and and Henry Wu, who we remember, I'm sure, from the books. Um, enjoy this scene with him because it's the only one we're going to get until four <laughs> films later. <laughs> yeah, but he's dramatically more sympathetic in this, isn't he? He's kind of funny, you know. He's kind of interested. He's, you know, he's he, he's not this kind of like effete Victor Frankenstein figure, which he is in the fourth one, where he's just sort of like, <laughs> "I made them, I made them monstrous because you told me to make them monstrous. They are monsters." No. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to run away because you're all about to get eaten. Bye. <laughs> yeah. The moment he not put a on the character. Yeah. The moment he put on the black polo neck. It is. It's the know. black polo neck of evil and malicious <laughs> intent. <laughs> not to be yeah. trusted. But here he's uh, all in white. Uh, does that? Is, hey, I, I, symbolism. I assume, yeah, yeah. Check that's that out. Why well, they've done it, isn't it? Um, here yeah. is all innocent and just uh, 
trying to do something new and achieve something and all this. Yeah. Um, one of the dinosaurs hatches. Um, Hammond says that he insists that he's present for the hatching of every one of these. And it, mm. it, it leads on into, well, surely not the ones in the wild. And they say, oh, well, there are no ones in the wild, as far as we mm. know. <laughs> um, no, they, no, they don't say as far as we know. They say <laughs> there are no, nobody, there's none. Yeah. None. But he, even even with that accepted, how on earth has he been here for everyone when obviously he's just been knocking about with the tour group and one's just randomly hatched without them knowing? Yeah. It yeah. Seemed, and, oh, it's and always the, bugged me that. And the uh, the guide has just finished as well. Yeah. Like, where, where, like, he wouldn't have been there at all if these guys hadn't broken out of their, hadn't broken out of their, um, their tour program, right? Yeah. So, like, he could, he would be, a, if this was actually the case, he would be a lot angrier right then. <laughs> like, yeah. He'd be like, Henry, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm supposed to be here for everyone, and I was just in the middle of doing my, oh, prick the finger, oh, hello, John, you know. Yeah, and, and there's a velociraptor, and you've not called me. You've not, where's, where's, you know, where, <laughs> I get Mr. Hammond to the lab, please. Mr. Hammond to the lab. <laughs> I get the feeling the people in the lab have just, t- like, Woo's just told him he's been, at everyone and he's just Hammond's not asked any questions and just believed him when he said I've been here for the birth of everyone on the island you could just cut away to Wu just sort of giving a sideways look to like another lab assistant like (laughs) (laughs) I've been here for the birth of every little creature on this island and then there's just Wu behind him going <clears throat> just whisper. Oh, yeah, no. Every every last bastard one of them, boss. Tell yeah, me. just whispering to his lab assistant. I didn't think he was going to tell anyone about this. This lie is getting out of control. <laughs> Someone's going to tell him that it's actually bollocks in a minute. But anyway, um, <laughs> actually, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? If it turned out that everybody else knew that it was a complete clusterfuck, but John Hammond is the kind of boss who can't take bad news and always kills the messenger, yeah. so nobody wants to tell him. Like, John, the fences have broken 12 times since you arrived on the island last week. Honestly, it's it's simply not safe. Yeah, yeah. There is an element of delusion about him, but <laughs> maybe not to that extent. Um, the, the the baby that hatches is a velociraptor. As, it, as, it, as it's hatching, we have the... Uh, there's this conversation about the... Uh, life as you say life finding a way whether they can control the population and stuff it's it's basically a bit of malcolm uh naysaying and saying that it's you know this place is is doomed to failure then the raptor hatches and when grant realizes what it is they decide to go and take a look at the adult versions which are in a separate pen they haven't been as i think as ed regis says in the books they haven't been integrated into the park yet um so (laughs) So they're just feeding, it's sort of feeding time, and we see I, I, them rip a cow to shreds. I have to, which was a fairly visceral moment, wasn't it? Yeah. Although, although I always thought, you know how they're lowering the, um, the cows into the, they load the cow into the thing, and it's got this sort of like blue, like sling underneath it? Yeah. I always thought that was transparently terrible CGI. I was always like, well, you've just put a model cow in there, and you haven't even bothered to put a thing under its belly, it's just... <laughs> 
blue plastic. Like, so I just didn't experience the sort of visceral horror of this thing getting torn limb from limb. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, it's fake. Well, the thing is, um, it, on my pirate version of the VHS, I had um, a sort of intense, like more intense horror because when the sort of bars come back up at the end and it's just a ripped harness... Um, yeah. I, I assumed that was like just the remains of cow guts. I was like, oh, cow. it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not a PG, though. <laughs> no, Definitely yeah. not a PG. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I also like in this bit the, the suggestion, you know, that they haven't been integrated to the park yet. Mm. As though there's some circumstance in the future which would lead to velociraptors not being like merciless and rapacious killers and stalkers of other beasts. Yeah. Like, what, what are they waiting? Are they going to work out like you know, like dinosaur sedatives? Like, yeah. You know, dinosaur chill pills for dinosaurs. Just get them whack a bong in there, and, and then you'll see the world's first hippie velociraptor. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how's that supposed to work? They're going to yeah. be killers forever. You're never going to integrate them to the park. Yeah, well, imagine, I imagine actually in the book they'll just be making new ones. Um, oh, uh, yeah, of course though. they would with this version version nonsense. Yeah, yeah. We, um, what was it? The um, Skippy the psychedelic dinosaur. What was his name? <laughs> yeah. Clarence, Clarence. changing Velociraptor. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, he doesn't make an appearance in the film, unfortunately. <sighs> Crying bloody shame. I tell you what, I think this film would really have benefited from a psychedelic sequence. <laughs> yeah, perhaps with a musical number underneath it. <laughs> Uh, during the feeding session, we're introduced to properly to Muldoon, the park warden, who was always my favourite character when I was younger. Um, I think basically because he dies horribly, but anyway. Uh, so he's there. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's... Oh, we'll come on to that later. Um, it then moves into a... They're sort of sitting around a, a table having lunch and discussing the sort of various merits and future of the park... I thought this was quite a ballsy move to be... We've gone so long without big dinosaur action now. Um, and we take a pause to sort of just discuss the philosophy of the park and stuff. It's quite a, yeah. quite a bold move for a blockbuster, this, isn't it? But it's one of the reasons I love Jurassic Park. Absolutely. And again, I mean, it's this thing, isn't it, with... Um, I think, And I think it's always true, actually. Like We get a lot of films which are like, you can't talk, you'll turn the audience off. Mm. And then a film like Jurassic Park or Inception goes and makes an extraordinarily large amount of money and proves that, you know, you absolutely can. It doesn't... People don't turn off if you're talking about something which they find interesting. You know, put the right words, pitch a situation to people and then have them go through the implications of it, both, you know, intellectually and also in terms of getting ripped limb from limb by the dinosaurs. Hmm. You know, you're engaged in the whole thing because they're having a discussion about this stuff that you've seen and that you're about to see. Um, and I actually, I think that's a really, really important principle in almost all fiction, really, is to actually, you know, not to be not to be ashamed of your brains. Because yeah. I think you end up making really, really good, exciting films on that basis. And I don't think that's just because, you know, I like I pretentiously want to think of myself as some sort of intellectual but I just think it's great like this is another way in which this is an exciting topic this is yeah. an interesting thing you know it's not just physical it's also intellectual yeah I think the thing that really helps this scene as well is that <clears throat> the, the the guys playing Gennaro and Malcolm really sell it the two sides of the coin especially Malcolm with the sort of academic anger and um, the way mm. he gets his point across you can see um, he does a really good job of 
just just sort of displaying that emotion of just how angry he is, but because the way he speaks, he doesn't shout, but um, he really gets across that quite anger about how ridiculous he thinks the park is and how um, offensive he yeah. thinks the park is. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he pulls no punches, mm. you know, like, I mean, and I think it's a really ballsy move in terms of scripting and what's, what is, after all, a film you're going to market to kids to have mm. him deliver the line, you know, I call it the rape of the natural world. Yeah. Um, because it's exactly as powerful as it should be, and any other word there would be a cop-out. But you can just imagine if it wasn't Spielberg directing it, some studio bigwig going, oh, bit strong, bit strong, mm. take it back. And actually, it would wreck the scene. Yeah. Um, you know, you're absolutely right. Like the kind of the the restrained fury that Ian Malcolm talks with here, I think is just magnificent. Again, in a movie about dinosaurs, anybody else would have been like, "Well, it's been ten minutes. Where's the eating?" Whereas, whereas here, you know, you've got this guy getting into the ethics of of um, biotechnology, questions which haven't gone away, by the way, and which almost no film since has bothered to talk about. Mm. You know, yeah. like Gattaca, I guess. Yeah. Um, but. I can't think of very many others, really, really. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff, really great. Like, And I think it's a sign of a great film that you can love it when you're nine for one reason. And then, <laughs> like, love the kind of seedling versions of these things, which in 20 years' time you'll find absolutely fantastic and mm. absolutely fascinating. Uh, really, sign of a great film for me. Yeah. Um, now, we head over to start the tour of the park. Before we do that, um, we're introduced to two more characters it's the two kids it's lex and tim who have got a bit of an age swap going on here because in the books tim is the older child and lex is the little sister in this one lex is older and tim's the sort of little brother and they kind of share the um they kind of share the action out between them in the film whereas in the book basically tim does everything and lex just sort of follows him around he's just this irritating little girl. sister character <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um so they arrive and uh this we, they, we, they'll hop into these jeeps we get a nice introduction to tim's character as he's sort of going on and on and on about dinosaurs trying to impress uh grant yeah um, and I, I love that he's got no sense of shame as well that he just follows him around <laughs> from car to car you know yeah. this whole sequence where he's just like hi hi yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i think we talked about this in the book but how this is a nice difference in the film that grant has this character progression where he doesn't like children at the start and he slowly comes to sort of appreciate you know mm. the better, what, what's great about kids um as he gets as, as the film goes along and he's forced to protect these children yeah um, yeah and it's a really nice just character arc and it sort of follows a, a theme about evolution through the film and yeah very true eh and it doesn't happen in the book. He just sort of likes kids straight away. Um, so yeah, yeah. Good and yeah, good example of how they made it richer in the film. And I, I particularly love that it's not the kind of character arc where he resists this kind of, this growth of understanding. Like, it happens almost instantaneously. You know, children are in danger and he responds in this quite paternal way. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a moment of silent agony before he says, you know, he left you, but that's not what I'm going to do. Yeah. He gets right into it, which I think, I think is actually, I, I wouldn't know, but it seems to me a very logical way of portraying that kind of paternal instinct is yeah. that in response to the circumstances, it appears rather than being something that one kind of resents one's way into or out of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as this setting off, 
there's a there's this voice announcer in the car. We made quite a lot of fun of this in the in the book. Uh, the voice you're hearing is Richard Kiley. We spared no expense. <laughs> who's Richard Kiley? And, and um, who exactly is Richard Kiley? Yeah, in the original scripts, um, it appears that it was either going to be Richard Kiley or James Earl Jones. Oh, the... Matt! Oh, <laughs> oh, great missed opportunities of 20th century cinema. Yeah. My word. Yeah. Oh, so oh the... you've just wrecked me with that. Yeah, the dude from, what, well, he was in Star Wars, wasn't he? In he Field was of Darth Vader. He's the voice of Darth Vader. Yeah. Quite apart from being the voice of Mufasa and, um, <laughs> yeah, oh yes, oh yes. And Admiral James Greer in the Jack Ryan films. Yeah, the there you go. So it could have been him, but we got Richard Kyle instead. Um, Mind you, if it had been, he would have stolen the scene somehow. Like if it had been James Earl Jones, even though he's just his recorded voice on an automatic CD-ROM. Sorry, an interactive CD-ROM. Um, it still would have been like, can we have more of the voiceover, please? <laughs> can you imagine? You are now entering. Lophosaurus <laughs> paddock. <laughs> yeah, and he would sound quite happy as well, wouldn't he, if he was doing it as Darth Vader about the fact that Dilophosaurus is a beautiful but deadly addition. <laughs> right, uh, so that was, yeah, great missed opportunities as 20, 20 Absolutely, and I think we've established there quite, quite conclusively that neither of us can really properly do a Darth Vader impression. Yeah. To um, everybody's astonishment. Yeah. We uh, we're also have a... This, this next bit now, we cut between um, a few... Uh, sort of dinosaur exhibitions on the tour where no dinosaurs show up, including the Dilophosaurus and the Tyrannosaurus Rex, um, hmm. and also cut back into the control room where the people behind the park are nervously watching what's going on. So you've got Hammond, you've got Muldoon, and you've also got Ray Arnold, who were introduced here, Sam L. Jackson, uh, one of the great hey. casting decisions again here. Absolutely. Um, he actually... Yeah, he's called Ray Arnold in the film, and he's mm. John Arnold in the book. And on the Jurassic Park wiki page, they sort of conflate this and get around it by saying that his real name's John Ray Arnold, and he's just called by his nickname in the film. So maybe so. <laughs> that seems to me to be reaching quite far. <laughs> yeah, I think it might. It's be, not yeah. unheard of for characters to be renamed, or indeed have their ages changed or moved around or whatever. It's yeah. a really weird revisionist approach to the script. No, it is the same. It is the same because he's got a double-barreled first name. Yeah. Yeah. What of it? Yeah, John Ray Arnold. And John Nedry's Ray there Arnold. as well, sort of just in the background doing shifty shit, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> he keeps like looking at his boat and just messing around on his computer. He doesn't seem to be doing much work. You'd um, love it if uh, if the first thing that was on the screen when they finally get over to his workstation and try and work out what the hell he's been doing, the first thing that was up there was just like, congratulations, you've broken your previous record of 9,000 points on Tetris or something. <laughs> yeah, solitaire. <laughs> yeah, solitaire, exactly. Like, you've now played your 10,000th game in a row of solitaire. Do you want to, A, quit, B, continue? I like this um, at some point in this these sort of series of scenes as well. This argument Nedry has with uh, Hammond, where he's talking about, you know, could you, you know, I'm completely unappreciated. Could you find anyone else to do the same amount of work that I've done for what I bid for this job? And he's, yeah. it, it does a good thing of A, it shows how frustrated Nedry is with the fact that he basically underbid for this job. Um, yeah. It seemed, I mean, in the, in the book, we get a bit more info because it turns out. He sort of bid for the contract, got it, 
and then in a classic sort of client contract kind of way um hammonds keeps saying oh we need to do this now as well and we need to make this improvement as well and it's mm. all it's all covered yeah. under the contract so it seems like nedry didn't really put a watertight contract together and it's been really yeah, shafted because I, yeah of you've it. got to say that as well like i wouldn't be angry if i was nedry i wouldn't be angry with hammond i'd be angry with my lawyer yeah like what the hell were you doing that I have, you know, pro bono work on the other side of the world? No, what? Yeah. <laughs> Having to buy my own pie in San Jose. Like, yeah. I, I would be pissed if I was him. I also think this is the only time in the in the film that we see the harder edge to Hammond. He's, he's a very sort of cuddly grandpa. Um, mm. I can't understand what's going wrong. I'm really upset character for the most part. But this bit where he's saying, you know, I'm sorry, but they are your problems. I don't ask, I don't blame people for the mistakes, but I ask them that they pay for them and all this just shows just a bit of an example of how he's managed to create this park and make so much money. He is also yeah. quite a ruthless businessman. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Although, although it has to be said that like one, they're both they're both at fault here, I think, because you're doing something this complicated for the very first time, and you don't have contingencies put in for when things necessarily go wrong because they will. Yeah, because you're constructing it from scratch. Like the the idea that they were both so naive as to enter into this contract is a bit. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. I quite like the sadly been a conversation at all as, <laughs> as he's getting shut down. Yeah. Nedry, uh, he's very yeah. good, uh, Wayne Knight, isn't he? In this in this role, he play, plays it. Um, I think he plays Nedry pretty pretty perfectly. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he I, does. I mean, he's he's comical but not laughable. He's you know he makes these stupid mistakes, mm. um, but he's also you know he does that kind of like bitter resentfulness thing perfectly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good performance. So we have the uh, the fairly disappointing tour where they don't see any Dilophosaurus. They go to the Tyrannosaurus Rex paddock and he doesn't turn up even though they. <laughs> get this poor little goat out to try and tempt him, um, <laughs> and th- then we get this great little little moment where uh, Malcolm does a bit of winding up and sort of knocks on the security <laughs> camera. He's like, "You are going to have dinosaurs at some point on your dinosaur tour." And poor poor Hammond's just going, "I really hate that man." <laughs> I love. Oh, he's so good. Oh man, Richard Attenborough in a cast full of legends. Yeah. I think he just about pulls it off just for that sort of like I really hate that man. <laughs> like it's just something incredibly funny in it. Tell you um, when I the goat bit actually before we move on the uh, when I first saw it, um, you know how it sort of goes down on its whatever its elbows are like as <laughs> yeah. as I now know goats do. That's what it looks like when goats relax is they sort of kneel down and their forelegs kind of flop about all over the place. Yeah. I didn't know that at the time. I thought they'd broken the poor thing's legs. Oh. I thought, yeah, exactly. So I thought I was, in the same way as you thought it was, the, the cow thing was a lot more vicious mm. than it originally was. I watched it and I was like, it's a T-fucking-Rex. Can he not <laughs> chase the thing? Like, <laughs> like, how much do you hate goats, you people? Yeah, the goats already chained to a pole so quite how he's going to get away i don't know yeah although i'll tell you it did it it gave a lot more um a lot more it made me made me a lot more kind of emphatically agree with you know grant's line of t-rex doesn't want to be fed he wants to hunt yeah i'm like yeah you need to have to kneecap the poor thing (laughs) gangster style gangster yeah they fucking kneecapped a goat (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, the goats, kneecapped or not, um, is not enough to tempt the Rex. So uh, they move on. They finally do see a dinosaur, um, but it, they have to sort of take matters into their own hands. So Malcolm's doing a bit more flirting with Ellie. He's doing the sort of which way is the drop going to roll down your hand ah, routine. The classic, yeah. the classic yeah. I know chaos theory to master's degree level yeah. approach to chatting up a woman. Uh, and they end up all jumping out of the car because they see a, a Triceratops lying in the grass um, being treated by a vet. So they go over and take a look. This is the whole, in the book, the whole gizzard stones mystery yeah. Uh, yeah. where it turns out the dinosaur's getting sick because it's been eating stones coated in berries and then sicking the stones back up again. Um, yeah. In the original script, um, this was going to be solved. There was going to be a little bit of dialogue at the end where they say, yeah. oh, look, we've got these stones, blah de blah but they cut it for time, um, which is a bit of a shame because it would be nice to get some yeah. resolution. In the in the film as it finished, right, in the final version, you kind of, they half solve it. Ellie ends up looking through that one big pile of shit that Malcolm comes across and then they just sort of give up and, and, and move on. So uh, yeah. maybe they, they thought it's just there's just too much going on here. We need to get moving. Yeah, I mean, pace is really important, and if you've given time to the sort of philosophical discussion before, I understand why you'd want to cut that. But at the same time, what is it like? Five seconds, ten yeah. seconds, and you get a little, you get a little demonstration of scientific method. I yeah. feel like that could have been very powerful. But you know, at the same time, you know, what do I know? Yeah. So it is powerful. The this is one of the great um, wonder moments in the uh, in the film, isn't it? Seeing this massive triceratops and yeah yeah. this is all animatronic and stuff and it it still stands up very well looks great it looks so good doesn't it Mm. like i just yeah just just fantastic like from top to bottom and and you get more of this like um alan grant being in touch with his inner inner schoolboy you know yeah um yeah yeah also we get our only um look at dr harding who is in the book a lot more than he is in the film. He just gets this cameo role here. Um, mm. And he's, he's actually played by one of the producers. Oh, really? Yeah. And I is was that why he's got was, so few lines? Yeah, and that's why I think he isn't that great either. Um, but apparently he was, you know... They were, I watched this behind the scenes of Jurassic Park and they were saying how great it was to have one of the producers on set because um, he... <laughs> yeah. Kept them yeah. going and stuff, but I don't you're know. hardly gonna say, "God, it was awful." I can't believe as well as putting the money in, he wanted to be in the fucking thing. Are there not actors who could do this work? Jeez. Yeah, but um, that's the yeah the one little cameo from Harding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we we move on from there. I don't think there's anything else to say that bit. And the back in the control room. Nedry does the sort of <laughs> this the shiftiest fuck ed- exit of all time. I absolutely <laughs> love this. He's like, um, so uh, the 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 system's going to be compiling. I'm, I'm going to go out and get some something sweet. Cause I had a lot of salty stuff and, and some something sweet. So I'm going to go get it. And he asked me to debug the, debug the phones. So I did, <laughs> did it. And <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a magnificent impression of a, a juttery, stammery Wayne Knight. Amazing. <laughs> Hey, do you do an impression of him in um, in Third Rock from the Sun as well? Those like those long, hard boiled detective style monologues. <laughs> no, I can't. Oh, oh, <laughs> Matt. Oh, you had me going for a second there. I thought you were going to crack it out. <laughs> but yeah, so he does all that, and basically Hammond and 
Arnold and Muldoon are looking at him, basically jaws open, like, what on earth are you talking about? What the fuck's the matter with you? Yeah. Uh, I'd like it if one turned to the other one, like, after he left the room, one just turned to the other one and just sort of made a little kind of glug, glug, glug kind of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, what's the matter with him? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, once once he gives his explanation, as he's about to walk out the door, he synchronizes his watch and clicks uh, this comedy large execute button on the screen, and, goes, <laughs> and like sets off, <laughs> sets everything in motion. <laughs> the big well for a, for a not terribly computer literate age, I suppose that made sense, didn't it? We need some way of showing that what's happening on the computer screen right now is a big fucking deal. <laughs> How about a massive red button with the word "execute" written on it? <laughs> Done. Excellent. Uh, so now we start cutting between uh, scenes of the Land Cruisers moving back towards the visitor center. A few conversations, including including Malcolm's brilliant. Um, Grant says, are you married? And he says, occasionally, I'm always on the lookout for the next ex-Mrs. Malcolm. <laughs> that is such a good line, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and also, there's sort of what Nedry's up to. So he's he runs into the uh, embryo storage and lifts up these really cool-looking towers, which have got uh, mm. loads of embryos in it, glowing towers, uh, yeah. as, he's, as he's stealing the, stealing the embryos. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fences start to fail across the park, which is another good sort of shot where Arnold's lighting a cigarette and suddenly like turns away as he sees the fences failing. Uh, yeah. Flashes. Yeah, um, yeah. Do, do you know? Oh, and then as it gets a, a lot sort of, it gets obvious that things are going to pot. Uh, Hammond says, "Check the vending machines. Try and find Nedry." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's fallen asleep next to one of them again. Yeah. Maybe he's just hugging one. <laughs> and uh, there's also, uh, as Arnold's trying to sort of work out what's happened, he's, he's on Nedry's terminal, and mm. you get that little, you didn't say the magic word, guy <laughs> pop-up, <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> uh, which is quite, it's got a classic sort of old-school hackery stuff. Yeah, it, it is. But it's hackery in the sense of the film Hackers, which I think might have had little or nothing to do with computer science. You know what I mean? I just love the idea that he's like... Because what he would have to do in order to animate his face doing that is, like, take a picture of his face, like, Mm. smiling. (laughs) And then one smiling with the eyes up. And then one smiling with the eyes up and the tongue out. And then record, (laughs) ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word. Imagine him doing that on his lunch break. Nedry, what what are you doing? (laughs) Nothing, nothing. Yeah. You'll see. Um, In the script, uh, one of the direction series they dropped was um apparently it was um the, the computer was supposed nedry's computer was supposed to start playing a tune like the jeopardy theme um <laughs> and, and and it was supposed to get louder and louder as the sort of scenes continued to the point where there's this really loud like game show music and they can't switch it off <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great idea in a book yeah. On screen, it would be incredibly irritating. Unless you had, like, the perfect music, right? Yeah. Unless it was genuinely tense stuff. And let's, let's be honest, the countdown music would have been terrifying in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Or it'd be good in a book or in a black comedy, but I see why they took it out, because the tone just wouldn't be right at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now we move back to the Land Cruisers, which have stopped outside the Tyrannosaur paddock. And get ready for one of the great action set pieces of Hollywood cinema. Oh, yes. Um, it starts with 
the the two kids mess around in the car as Gennaro's wondering how the hell he got stuck with the kids. Um, and Tim gets these night vision goggles out, which become sort of these iconic bits of kits. And then there's a little sort of glass of or plastic cup of water on the on the dashboard, which starts to vibrate with the sound of massive approaching footsteps. <laughs> yeah. Um, which apparently they, they really struggled to work out how to do this um, when they were making Oh, the yeah. No, I've heard this as well. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, it was the way they did it was they got sort of a, a string underneath um, underneath the water, underneath the cup, and they'd flick it, and that would make the sort of the, the concentric circles. But yeah, so I, was a real yeah. I mean, I mean, clearly it was more difficult than I thought. But I'll level with you. I've thought about that little factoid many times when I have <laughs> accidentally kicked a table and seen it and gone, "Ooh, T-Rex, that." <laughs> yeah. How difficult was it again? Yeah. Maybe it's because the whole car needs to feel like it's vibrated. I don't know. Anyway, uh, they, they okay. said that they I'm, said I'm not. Difficult. I'm not about to go dissing industrial light and magic for this stuff. <laughs> it was a magical, a magical thing in the uh, in my childhood. Yeah, uh, there's a bit where uh, Lex goes, "Where's the goat?" And suddenly the <laughs> the goat leg just lands on top of the uh, <laughs> on top of the car. <laughs> hey, you 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 can't you can't say that's not comedy. <laughs> And uh, so we see the Tyrannosaur eat this goat. That's the first sighting we get of the of the Tyrannosaur's head, isn't it? It's, it's eating this massive, massive goat. Oh, he's eating this goat. It's not a massive one. Um, it's just eating a massive T-Rex eating an <laughs> average-sized goat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny that in the uh, Jurassic Park world, uh, this happens again. And there's the, the kid's sort of on his phone, not even watching and it just shows yeah. how things have changed. But here it was yeah, that the yeah, big yeah, old yeah. shit moment. Um, yeah. And then you see the there's, the... there's the bit where you see the Tyrannosaurus claws on the fence, and Tim realises that the fence is out. And then... <gasps> Gennaro... That's a great moment. Like, yeah. Because that's technically, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the start of the scene, and you'd expect them to really sell it, but it's just this really, like, subtle moment where you kind of you only realise slowly... Oh, bollocks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Gennaro does his Ed Regis routine because obviously in the book here, Gennaro's not even not even present. He's gone back with uh with Harding and Sattler. So uh he takes the place of Ed Regis, who doesn't exist in the film, and he runs off and leaves the kids on their own. <sighs> he t- um, he takes Ed Regis's role as cowardly bastard. Yeah, and, and and fulfills it to an absolute T. I mean, let's be let's be fair to the guy. Yeah, although whereas Ed Regis ran off down a hillside and got covered in leeches, Gennaro runs into a toilet and hides there. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you've got to go, Matt, you've got to go, haven't you? You got to go. You got to go. Yeah. Hey. So the, uh, the the Tyrannosaur gets out of the out of the pen. Uh, storms onto the road and we have another series of really sort of no classic sort of shots there's a bit with Lex with the uh, with the torch and then the, the the dinosaur's head comes down outside and the eye the looks glass in glass roof classic there's the glass roof where he, yeah, where yeah. He, so with, the, the, with the attack on the car um, and yeah this whole this whole action set piece I mean, we don't need to go through it shot by shot but it's a uh it is one of the sort of classic action set pieces now, isn't it? And as so I said before, good. yeah. And as I said before, 
the CGI stands up a lot better because it's so dark. I think. Yeah, yeah, but I think this is a really great example. I was going to say before, actually, the of like the. I mean, absolutely. They set the scene at night because the CGI probably wouldn't stand up to it during the daytime. It was 1993. But also, um, it's a really great artistic decision. Like, it works. And I love that, and I think that's a real piece of skill to kind of bring together those those two things, like like using your constraints to actually tell a better story, mm. um, I think is a real sign of like of skill in technique, in anything really, and particularly in filmmaking. They use it so well here. Mm. Apparently, the the thunderstorm was a real problem for the effects team because the the massive animatronic Tyrannosaur head um, once it got wet got really heavy, so it wouldn't move, so it would stop working. <laughs> <laughs> so let's have this brolly you, over so it. That's amazing. Who's the T Rex wrangler? Who's responsible for the T Rex's <laughs> umbrella? I like the idea of that. Like, imagine breaking that to Spielberg, like. So it won't move. Why not? I thought you made it out of rubber. Well, foam rubber. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> so you mean you're telling me you 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 brought a, a groundbreaking piece of equipment to a tropical storm zone during the rainy season and you made it out of a sponge? <laughs> Get out of my sight! <laughs> <laughs> I think from what I don't remember fully, but I think. They decide. Obviously, it was this, this bit was in a massive studio. Um, it's not actually outside, and they decided to make it a thunderstorm like at the last minute. And the effects team were like, um, "Okay, this thing isn't waterproof." <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. brilliant! Absolutely um, magnificent. Yeah. So we get Gennaro eating on the toilet. He uh, he goes out uh, in. Quite a spectacular fashion. Um, Malcolm's nearly killed in in this sort of in this sequence as well because he sort of runs away with the flare. Um, Jeff Goldblum always says that he um, he suggested this. It, originally, Malcolm was just going to run away in the same way Gennaro did and mm-hmm. nearly get killed. And he <laughs> said, "Well, why don't I get a flare as well and sort of try and be a bit of a hero?" And that's why it changed to do that. Mm. Um, and oh, there's also when Grant goes to try and help the kids uh, in the overturned car. There's that there's that moment with the foot coming down, the Tyrannosaurus foot coming down, um, yeah. which is a classic shot again. Yeah, um, it was so good, eh? Yeah. So th- this basically ends with the, the Tyrannosaurus throwing a uh, one of the cars with Tim inside uh, over the fence, uh, and Grant nearly being crushed by it with Lex on his back. Does this this always puzzled me a little bit how the Tyrannosaurus at ground level when he's breaking out of the when he's breaking out of the fence and then mm. when they ch- when he's chucking the car there's like a 20 foot drop on the other side of the fence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, weird, isn't it? I mean, you can kind of imagine there being a big like Hillside. slope or hill, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, rule of cruel. Let it go. Rule of cruel. There's a more troubling Tyrannosaur um, moment later on, which we'll get to, um, uh, which puts this one in the shade. But we'll move on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to the control room, and mm. uh, John Arnold, uh, Ray Arnold's basically saying. Uh, look, I can't get Jurassic Park back online without Dennis Nedry. 
cut to yeah. Nedry. He's driving through the driving rain. This is a, a scene which is lifted pretty much almost exactly from the books, where he gets lost, um, he nearly crashes, he tries to sort of get back on the on the road to the docks, and he meets this Dilophosaurus, which at first he thinks is fairly harmless because it's quite small, and in the end ends up killing him horribly. What do you make of it? Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't mess around, do they, in dispatching with Nedry? Like, I would have thought maybe there's a bit more dramatic juice in him, but no. 30 seconds of driving, one skid, questionable decision-making, cute dinosaur, dead. <laughs> That's yeah. his entire story arc. Yeah, I remember when I watched this as a, when I was younger, though, the spitting dinosaur was such a cool idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so my first encounter of this, this thing was in the novelisation. Mm. No, you know, the kind of crappy rip-off, you know, scene-by-scene scene description. Uh which was nowhere near as good as our fantastic, insightful scene by scene description. Did he get Did he um, get killed in the in the children's? Uh, oh yeah, like everything that happens in the film happens in the book, described in language appropriate for nine year olds. So um, so yeah, and it described, but even worse because it was like it described. I can still to this day I can <laughs> remember like describing the kind of white spots in his eyes when he opens his eyes and he realizes that he's blind and all he can see is like it's black with white spots. Mm. And, uh, and he spat in his eyes and he felt this burning and then he got eaten inside the car. And I'm like, yeah, it was definitely, it was a questionable decision to let me have the book but not watch the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it was something we, we forgot with the con- back in the control room. Um, one of my favourite lines of the film were uh, Arnold's explaining what's happened. He's like, uh, look at this white rabbit the object. So whatever it did, it did it all. <laughs> <laughs> and that's still that's still the approach that most people take to solving things on their computers these days. Whatever it did, yeah. it did it all. Turn it off and turn it on again. Yeah, white rabbit dot object it. Um, <laughs> we move on to the uh, getting Tim out of the car in the tree. This is a just for the film um, sequence, isn't it? Rather strange. I was quite surprised when I read the book this time, and this didn't happen. Um, I always assumed it happened in the book as well, but it didn't. Um, so the, it ends up basically being a Grant and Tim racing to get out of this tree before the, the car falls on them and kills them. Yeah, great set piece, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Oh, the, There's apparently a, a really long, well, fairly long scene here, which was cut where Grant convinces the kids to come with him and uh, head off into the park. And they talk about whether they should walk back down the road to the visitor centre and they say, this, as they do in the book, that the Tyrannosaur is going to be in between the pens and he's probably hunting around there, so it's probably safer to go into the Tyrannosaur paddock because he's left mm. it. Um, none of that happens in the film, now. Uh, it was cut. Uh, and we go to Sattler and Muldoon. So Ellie and Muldoon are on the way out to, to try and find the... Uh, the survivors, or at the moment, they think they just got to pick them up, but then they realise that shit's gone down when they see the uh, they see mm. the trampled down fence and the missing car. Yeah, uh, again, great scene, and it, it ends with uh, a yeah. well. There's there's a brilliant bit. I think this was Gennaro. I think this was too when they sort of find his body parts all all around the uh, the road. They find Malcolm. They find the other car, but no other survivors. And they just get away in time when the Tyrannosaur turns up again and chases them in the car. Dun, 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 It's such a great scene. Yeah. I, I, I love that they ripped into it with, um, with, um, 
uh, Independence Day did a riff on it as well. Mm. When um, when um, the Jeff Goldblum character is running away from uh, running away from the aliens. Oh yeah, and he he himself goes must go faster, must go faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they also do actually in uh, Toy Story two they do a, an homage to it as well <laughs> when they're driving along in a little toy car and they're, oh, they're, they do the Rex toys chasing after them and, and he he appears in the in the rearview mirror in this in this side mirror. <laughs> I'd forgotten that you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Toy Story and Jurassic Park. There you go. Um, yeah. Classics. Then we get the scene between Ellie and Hammond in the in the little cafe where Hammond's talking about how his flea circus and when we have control, you never have control. That's the illusion. <laughs> and all yeah. Another great scene, which I the power of which I'd completely forgotten. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, just the sort of the if this is basically Hammond coming to terms with the fact that his his park's falling down around him and also he's lost his grandchildren, which he seems yeah. much less worried about in the book. He's just more <laughs> bothered about the park. Yeah, um, that's true. At least he is worried in the thing, whereas in the book in the book he's a knobhead. In mm. the in the film he's just misguided, you know. Because again, if you've cast Father Christmas as this guy, then you can't, you know. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a scene in the book which is. Pretty much at the same time as this, and he's just having talking to someone, but he's talking to Henry Wu, and um, mm. they're going over various ideas and stuff for the park, and he's singularly not worried about what's going on in in the park at the moment. Mm. And I quite like how it's linked together by the fact that in the book, um, Wu's eating ice cream, which uh, Hammond's sort of put on for him, and it's this ginger ice cream, which he says is really good. And in, hmm. in this, uh, Ellie at the end sort of has a bit of ice cream. He's like, oh, it's really good. And he says, spurred no expense. Yeah, great moment, isn't it? Yeah. Really great moment. I mean, I I would, I would, feel like that would have been, all of this stuff would have been stronger if John Hammond had ever really been confronted with the reality of what was going on. Like yeah. witnessing somebody get killed by a dinosaur, which is very unlikely. He's a man with a, a walking stick, and you kind of, you know, <laughs> I don't really know how you would get him out there and get him back again. But, <laughs> but yeah, at the same time, I'm like... Uh, like all of those moments are powerful, but they'd be more powerful if you could see that he was thinking the entire time mm. about um, about the fact that he's seen this person die. Yeah. yeah. Speak, speaking of world's coolest walking stick, oh, just a yeah. stick with that amber with the mosquito trapped inside Absolutely. on it. What a, Absolutely. What a walking stick! I know. P-I-M-P is what that is. <laughs> that, is that is absolutely, that's purple floppy hat territory, that, but with science. Yeah. Um, although, although <laughs> I do wonder if they were like, like, should we put this one in a stick? Yeah, but what if it's like a T-Rex or something? What if it's something we still need? <laughs> like, oh, it's a Stegosaurus. What if it's a Stegosaurus? That's why there's no Stegosaurus in Jurassic Park. Because eh? <laughs> in his walking stick. <laughs> yeah. The... Um... Uh, either side of this uh, cafe scene uh, with the ice cream and the flea circus and all that is um, mm. Grant and the kids in the park uh, climbing a tree uh, to, to to sort of hide for the night and then coming across this brachiosaur that turns up and starts sort of eating the branches next to them and <laughs> ends up sneezing on Lex. Uh, mm. Another sort of nice bit of time just to enjoy the the good part of the park again um, before we get back into the screaming horror of the bad part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. 
Um, we move on to uh, back in the control room the next day, and Arnold's been sort of going through the code line by line, trying to find out what's gone wrong. It's it's obvious that he's never going to be able to do it. It's about two million lines of code. He has to look at every single one. They're not going to do it. So they're trying to work out what to do next. You've got Malcolm lying there with his shirt off for the ladies. You've got Hammond pacing around. You've got Arnold trying to work out what to do. Yeah. You've got Muldoon. And the sort of the plan they come up with is to just switch everything off and on again. As you just said, the sort of the way most people deal with any technical problem, switch it off and on again. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it has to be said, switch it off and on again in the coolest possible way, right? In the hold yeah. on your butts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before they do it, Muldoon comes up with another idea, which is putting the lysine contingency into effect. And I always thought, why don't they listen to him and do that? It sounds like an an alternative plan, which might have meant not everybody gets killed. Um, and it's basically if you deny the animals lysine, they slip into a coma and die, as Arnold explains. Um, yeah. In the original script, apparently, the mm. uh, there's a bit more to this conversation. They actually discuss whether or not to do it. And it turns out it takes seven days to actually come into effect this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it... <laughs> what they're going to do for seven days while they wait for that to happen. And that's why <laughs> Hammond says people are dying, shut down the yeah. system. And that yeah. kind of makes more sense, actually. I think it kind of needed that line because I yeah. always thought, well, why don't you just use this other option, which sounds like it might work, just kill all the dinosaurs. Absolutely. It just yeah. sounds, in, in the film, as it as it sort of the final version, it just always seemed to me like Hammond was as worried about keeping the dinosaurs alive as anything else. It felt more mm. like some eco-friendly protect the dinosaurs decision let's all get out of here alive rather than yeah. let's just kill the dinosaurs and have done with it yeah 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 absolutely well and plus like can you imagine what that would have been like if you're just waiting for them to die from lack of lysine you know kind of like occasionally you know even if you get everybody back in the same place you all hide inside and you live off of melty ice cream mm. for seven days <laughs> and you go out and on the seventh day john hammond walked forth and he found a Pachycephalosaurus and looked it dead in the eyes and said, you feeling hungry yet? <laughs> yeah. And well, lo, the Pachycephalosaurus headbutted him into the ground and turned him into pate. Like, <laughs> it's not a very realistic way of dealing with it, is it? Well, there's also the problem with, without any power and stuff, how do you get off the island as well? And, yeah. Um, apparently there was a line in the, in the original scripts where, after it's explained this plan, this seven-day plan... Uh, Malcolm says, that'll be a first. Man and Dinosaur dies together. I vote for John's plan, and he puts his hand up. Um, but maybe that was cut because it seems yeah. a bit of a strange levity in such a... It is. Um, Although he's supposed to be hysterical, isn't he? Although they do, they lose that whole thing about Malcolm in this the second half of the film. Mm. Whereas in the book, in the book, he becomes the sort of vehicle for all of this philosophizing about where... You know mankind's place in in creation and and you know yeah. making of these dinosaurs and playing God and so on. Like and he you know paradigm shifts and and all of this, and it all comes out because Ham because um, Grant's got a Grant's deli- uh, not Grant sorry Malcolm what's his name Malcolm bloody mm. hell because Malcolm's delirious. Mm. Um, obviously big fan of the film, but there is a bit of me that wonders whether it wouldn't have been more entertaining if if 
you know, if Malcolm had been sort of smacked off his tits for the <laughs> second half of the film, can you <laughs> just sitting there going, oh, you've got to understand there's paradigms and dinosaurs, <laughs> and I fucking love you, mate. Give me a kiss. <laughs> like, it would have been incredible. Yeah. Um, so they, they, they take plan B, uh, which is shut everything down. You have, as you say, the hold on to your butts line as he switches everything mm-hmm. off Arnold. <laughs> switches it on again. And it does come... At first, I think it hasn't worked. And they see there's a little blinking light, which means they've just got to restart everything and mm. restart the generator, but it just so happens to be a short walk across the compound next to the Velocira- Velociraptor pen. But I'm sure, that's going to be fine. Um, <laughs> apparently, this is... A, in the... Again, the when I look through this, what it says is the original script, um, mm. there is this extended dialogue. And when it all works because it was Hammond's idea. Apparently Hammond was supposed to say, when it all comes back on, that'll teach you to trust Grandpa. And it was good. That's weird. <laughs> no, That's it is, weird. isn't it? It's That's a, a line that you it's could a, lose. It's, a it's a difficult to imagine line. even somebody as talented as Richard <laughs> Attenborough not saying that whilst rubbing his thighs. <laughs> I'll teach you to trust Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, what a line. But anyway, that wasn't oh, said. And let uh, me move on. So that's now the plan. Get everything back on. Uh, Augusta, they made something instead. Restart the whole park. Hmm. Uh, meanwhile, in the park, we have the Gallimimus stampede, which is a hadrosaur stampede in the book, isn't it? Um, I quite like how they're... So Grant and the kids are on this hill watching the, the Gallimimus change direction like a flock of birds. And, yeah. uh, and Lex just says, are they meat-eating metasauruses? <laughs> 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 I love that line. Vegisaurus, Vegisaurus, Metasauruses, Metasauruses. Because she's so like she, you know, she's really good at computers, but a lot of this stuff, she, you know, she is way out of her depth. Yeah, and um, and I, I quite like that she kind of quite cutely embraces that. Yeah. So uh, they end up running in the middle of this stampede and jump behind a sort of a, a rock or a tree as the. Gallimimus is run past, and one of them gets eaten by this ambushing Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, this was the the first example of CGI. Apparently, this is the the one that like they, they put together this scene without the people, and that convinced Spielberg to go with CGI instead of animatronics for most of it. Um, hmm. Do you think it would have been better with hadrosaurs instead of Gallimimuses? It's probably harder to do because they're so much bigger. Yeah. Well, I mean. No, I think it was good. It was good with Gallimimuses, to be honest. Like, you have to introduce this kind of like quite delicate dinosaur, which can also move really fast and mm. get moving really quickly. There's no point having something that's really dramatic at 30 miles an hour if it takes half an hour to get there. Yeah. You know, like, you need something that can sprint. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. And uh, then we, we cut back to the bunker where they're waiting for Arnold to. Um, to sort of get the power back on and nothing's happened. Apparently, and we, we mentioned this in the book um, when we got to the John Arnold death scene, mm. there should have been a Ray Arnold death scene in Jurassic Park because he sort of gets caught by a raptor in the in the shed. Yeah. But yeah. because there was a hurricane during the filming, it all got delayed and, uh, and 
Sam Jackson had to go off and do something else, so he couldn't film this scene, so it never happened. Oh, really? Yeah. Amazing. Really? You know what? I'm actually gonna I'm gonna look up what he did next because I I I do wonder <laughs> like what film what film it was that robbed us of the Ray. Uh, the Ray Arnold death scene and whether it was worth it because he's been in a lot of films right yeah so leading me to wonder whether they were all strictly you know worth it (laughs) okay so in 1993 he was in Jurassic Park he was he was in like true romance he was in a lethal weapon ripoff called Loaded Weapon Mm. eh (laughs) but directly after Jurassic Park he was in a film called The Meteor Man okay that that absolute classic. <laughs> if you get a chance, Matt, go and click on it because the poster's magnificent. The poster features <laughs> Eddie Griffin, Eddie Griffin in a sort of foam rubber superhero outfit. And if that's the reason why I didn't get a Ray Arnold death scene, I'm suddenly very, very angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, but yeah. So Sam Jackson was busy making. What was it Meteor Man? The Meteor Man. Although I should say, actually, looking further down the list, there is a chance that he went off to film Pulp Fiction instead, in which case I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah. But, okay. But. Um, so, so, that's, <laughs> so that's why Arnold has disappeared. He's, he's off making another film. So they think, shit, we need to do something. So yeah. Ellie and Muldoon decide to head out to see what's happened and hopefully get the park started again. <laughs> <laughs> I... You wouldn't put a lot of hope in that, would you, at that point? Hopefully, sure. Mm. You go ahead and hope, that's fine. Yeah. Feels unlikely, though. Um, If you remember in the book, Muldoon at this point has what's effectively a rocket launcher to um, to, to shoot the animals with. In in the film, he just basically has a big gun. Um, In the script, it says, actually, that he takes a gun and a rocket launcher out and they just must have just dropped the rocket launcher because it must have looked ridiculous. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> tooling up like, like some kind of zombie survivalist prepper or something. <laughs> <laughs> With a rocket launcher. Yeah. So so they head out um, towards the uh, towards the shed. As we cut to an, a, a scene, so this again cuts back and forth now, where... Uh, Grant and the kids are climbing over this 10,000 volt fence to get out of the park just as uh, <laughs> Ellie is going through various stages of switching the, the stuff back oh, switching the it, it's back tense on. though isn't it yeah. it is tense yeah I always because of this saw 10,000 volts as, as shorthand for a lot of power <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah there's no way I actually understood what 10,000 volts is yeah yeah <laughs> whenever I was imagining as a child like electrified fence or something which you couldn't get past it'd always be 10,000 volts this <laughs> 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 basically meant a lot um, a shitload of volts is what it should say on all the plugs for that yeah so Ellie uh, somehow gets the power back on with the help of uh, Hammond and Malcolm talking her through it over a walkie talkie um, this is very different in the in the book. It's Grant who goes in here and gets the power back on. Um, she also nearly gets eaten by a raptor um, twice. So the first time is that they're on the way over to the shed and uh, they realise the raptors have got out of their pen. And uh, Muldoon's like, even Nedry knew better to turn off the raptor fences. And then they, they're <laughs> heading through. And just as 
just as they see this shed, they think they can get there. Maureen says, we can't run because we're going to get, you know, we're being hunted. So yeah. he he tells her to run and he stays behind to uh, to sort of yeah. hunt the hunters, if you like. Yeah, yeah. You know, for such a for such a kind of big budget blockbuster movie, there are a surprising number of shots in this where they clearly didn't want to, or maybe they didn't have the time because of the storm, um, to pull off the filming of an actual. Because you'd think this is a great opportunity to do like they did in the second one, to do like raptor tails moving through the tall foliage and stuff. Mm. Um, but instead, you just you'd, I, I feel like you don't really get the drama of that moment. Like I mean, you know, that, this is why you hire Bob Peck. He sells it. He sells mm. it very well. You know, we can't because we're being hunted. <laughs> like he does do it fairly well. But at the same time, I want a little bit of raptor face at that point. Yeah, you know. I actually quite like how you don't see them because that's what right. part of the menace is, and uh, it's because yeah, of the, at the true. start yeah. where um, uh, Grant's saying you know the attack comes from the raptors you didn't even know were there, and this idea of like this guy who's this expert hunter can see them but you yeah. can't, and it's yeah. just this it could the attack could come from anywhere at any moment because you've no idea where they are. Um, yeah, I I think it adds a bit of the tension, although. I remember when I when I saw it when I was little. I thought, "I'll oh, just run. You'll probably make it." And thinking about it now, you can't because as soon as you turn your back, they'll they'll attack. Um, so yeah, it's it's yeah. It would have been quite good to see something, I suppose. Um, but yeah. I also think something to be said for the just the just the complete lack of anything there and just feeling the menace without see- kind of like he did with Jaws, feeling the menace without seeing anything. Yeah, and there's no doubt that, you know, Steven Spielberg's better than almost anybody at really making this sort of thing stick. Um, but I, I still feel like it's a bit of a missed opportunity because I don't really like, because the whole the whole, like, setup isn't tense and kind of claustrophobic enough for me to be really scared by somebody saying something when mm. I've already seen lots and lots of dinosaurs. Mm. So I'm, I'm kind of expecting to see another dinosaur. Mm. Um, but then I don't. Yeah, because we still haven't got a proper look at a Velociraptor yet, have we, at this stage? No, only, no, we only... haven't. And, and actually, I was going to say that I... I if, you know, for saying that I wish they'd shown them in this scene, I do like the introduction they subsequently get with the severed arm of Ray Arnold and then, you know, yeah, face coming through the pipes sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it does work quite well, but I still feel like this is a missed opportunity. Yeah. So that's the second moment where Ellie nearly dies, where the, uh, yeah, this uh, rapture attacks her in the, in the maintenance shed. It's obviously already killed Arnold. It kind of tries to attack her through some bars or through some piping, Um which is kind of a weird way for it to try and get the jump on her, considering mm. it's already ripped mm. Arnold to shreds behind her. Um, but yeah, she just about gets out in time. There's also the fact that as she's switched on the fence, we cut to um, <laughs> back back at the fences where they're climbing over, and Tim still hasn't finished climbing down the fence, and he basically gets blown off the top of it when when the fence starts up again, and it looks like he's died. And sort of yeah. Grant catches him again. This is um, a scene which it kind of this, this does happen in the books, but it's just to climb over the fence and it's done. There's never yeah. any real danger, so it's quite a yeah. good. They've obviously taken that and thought actually we can add some tension here. Yeah, absolutely, it do. works beautifully. Really great piece of choreography. That yeah. Um, we cut back to the jungle where Muldoon's hunting the raptors, and he is just about to shoot one of them. Um, when another one 
appears right next to him, uh, like <laughs> in the foliage, and he does the the line, "Clever girl." As a, yes, <laughs> as, as he as he's killed. I think this is the the most horrific death of all of them, actually. Mm. Yeah, just because of the how the tension builds and. Yeah, there's something about the raptors as well. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, particularly frightening. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, he's very, very frightening. Although, again, another thing that I managed to miss somehow when I saw it as a kid was the fact that, like, there's the... Like, the raptor can be seen, but, you know, when it gets attacked, when he gets attacked. Yeah. And then there's, like, a fern, and then you can kind of see this, like, raptor head moving mm. up and down behind it, like, jabbing at him, and he's clearly being killed just off camera. Like, I didn't notice any of that. I was just like, oh, that's weird. Why have you cut to a fern leaf? <laughs> I'm the least engaged, least kind of cine literate viewer of this film when I was a kid. Honestly, ridiculous. Just going back now, I watch it. I'm like, Dave, how did you miss it? It's a fucking dinosaur eating somebody on screen, and you're going leaves. <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, Bob Peck got sort of scratch marks from that <laughs> from, from the, the dinosaur Brilliant. model that jumped him. Um, Brilliant, he said. Uh, I think it's it's worth taking this moment to point out that. Um, I think Muldoon in Jurassic Park, the film, is the most badass character ever to appear on screen without firing a weapon. He never, yes. he, he doesn't fire a shot in the entire Absolutely, film. Absolutely, actually. Yeah. But he gets across this total badass personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And apparently in the script, he, he fires um, the gun as he's attacked and it just sort of fires yeah. into the ground. But I'm not sure... Yeah. You hear that in the film. I'd, I'd no, you back. don't. You, you kind of hear him. He kind of tries to swing around this long gun. Yeah. But then the raptor's already passed it and, you know. It's on him, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's that's the end of him. And, you know, <sighs> but every cloud, bad point, he's been killed. But it turns out Tim is okay after all. He survived yeah! the 10,000 volts through his body. I suppose... Um, would would the defense slowly take a while to get up to charge? So maybe he didn't get a full blast of ten thousand. So slightly more realistic that he might survive. <laughs> Marginally. Marginally. Um, but yeah, so he's okay, and uh, they head back to the visitor center. Yeah. Grant Grant drops the kids off and then goes a wandering looking for other people. Did that yeah. strike you as strange after you've sort of spent the last day protecting these children? Just to sort of well, leave them. Well, the psychological value of being inside the compound, I think, would be you know they've been trying to get there and they are there. Yeah. You know, I can kind of I can kind of see the justification of that. Um, but you're right; it is weird that the kids don't freak out at all. You mm. know, like maybe a day is long enough to demonstrate that you haven't been abandoned. Yeah. The um, as they <laughs> there's this bit with the kids now where they're they're in this empty cafeteria, so there's loads of like free stuff to get so they just sort of do all you can eat buffet on the desserts and i remember watching this thinking i oh, you know what for all the scary dinosaur stuff it might be worth it to have a, a free run at an all you can eat buffet um such was my <laughs> obsession with dessert when i was little uh, but as they're doing that one of the raptors turns up they see the shadow of a real raptor mm. come oh, over the picture drama. yeah brilliant i tell you what at this point, my heart started beating like a jackhammer, and I don't think it stopped until several scenes into the future. <laughs> yeah. like it goes from tension to adrenaline at this point for me. Yeah. So they um, they run off into the kitchen. Uh, meanwhile, Grant's found Ellie, 
Uh, she's just come out of the shed and somehow she's lost a pink jacket, which she had. Um, no one, you never really understand why. But um, <laughs> she runs over and they head back to the visitor centre. Yeah, yeah. Um so Raptors is in the kitchen. What are they gonna do? It's another classic tense scene, isn't it? And even I don't know, which one is the, the more frightening to you? The T Rex attack or the Raptors in the kitchen attack? Raptors in the kitchen. Because of the intelligence. All the way. Because mm. of the intelligence, because of the like the, the confined space as well. And also the fact that the T Rex maybe can't see you. You yeah. know, like there's all sorts of ways where it's kind of happening on a different scale. Whereas a raptor is your size and is in a, a room designed for you with teeth. Yeah, like it's for me much more frightening. Yeah, how about you? Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree. And um, there's more malice to the raptor as well. The oh, T Rex yeah, seems to be big, sort of long, self-satisfied grin. Yeah, croaky little laugh that it does. Yeah, yeah. The T Rex always comes across as an ani- like an animal, like any other, just doing what it does. And the raptors seem to occupy this strange, sort of halfway house where you find sort of chimps and monkeys and stuff, but you know, with teeth and yeah, yeah. an absolute killing machine. Yeah. The, so yeah. more intelligent than an animal, but less intelligent than a human, just about. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean this this whole scene's great. I think my favorite. Two two bits of it I like the most. One is the bit where Tim's up against the uh, that row of kitchen implements, and the ladle falls over and clangs on the ground. Mm. And also the bit where Lexi's trying to shut herself in this cabinet, and um, she nearly gets eaten. But it turns out the raptor attacks her reflection rather than her, and ends up sort of smashing into this metal cabinet. <sighs> great, great bait and switch that, isn't it? Yeah, a, a fantastic piece of sleight of hand. Yeah, you're like, ah! <laughs> and they also managed to lock the raptor in the fridge eventually, or one of them, and uh, and then bail, get out there uh, while the other one sort of is coming to yeah. after knocking yeah. himself out. Yeah, uh, they bump into Grant and Sattler uh, as they back, sort of coming back into the visitor center. They all make a break for the control room to get the power back on. Um. So it gets to the point where the raptors are outside. They're in the control room. Um, <laughs> Grant's <laughs> trying to hold the door shut as the raptors are trying to open it. Ellie's got to go and help him. And it's all down to Lex, rather than Tim, who it was in the book, to to find a way of getting the system back on. It's a Unix system. So it's, a, it's, it's, an, it's an old school Unix system. Old um, school Unix system. I, I think they should be running it off of um, Acorn Archimedes, to be honest. Well, Tell you what, if well, they were running that, I would have said jumped into that chair would have been all over it <laughs> uh, this is Lexi's finest hour and um, it's the moment where uh, girls across the across the world decide they want to be computer programmers which is great because it's such a sort of guy dominated industry isn't it yeah yeah but yeah, um, yeah it, it was it, it's a really good idea just to switch this around a bit and give some of that sort of stuff that Tim does in the book to Lex to balance it out a little bit Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It feels less as a sort of boy film only then as well. Yeah, um, yeah, very much. So they get the power back on, get the phones working again. Uh, Grant rings up the emergency bunker to tell Hammond the good news. And then you hear Ellie shout, they're coming through the glass! And then a smash, and it's back on the chase. And you're, now, left, you're left with Hammond going, Grant! Yeah, does he yell Grant there or don't? 
I have never known what he yells there. Whether he's telling him not to try and shoot at the glass because the bullets will bounce off, bounce off, or if he's just like Grant, like a real kind of you know really fearful kind of what's happening. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I'm I'm uh, almost okay. certain it's the latter. Um, I, I have no feelings either way. I'm just really confused by that, which is annoying because he's, he's you know one of the best actors of his generation, lobbing everything into a single syllable, and I don't know what that syllable is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, then they uh, so they end up climbing through the vents to try and get away now from the raptors, and as they're going through, one of them jumps up and um, like lifts Lex up, and she almost falls down. She just sort of holds <laughs> on. Um, it turns out, I mean, do you know the tr- do you know the little story about this? As she's like she nearly falls. It's a stunt woman, and mm. the stunt woman's supposed to sort of nearly fall and then climb up again, yeah. constantly looking down. But when it yeah. happened, she, the stunt woman looks up. Um, and it was a oh, mistake. Really? So yeah. they they CGI'd Lexi's face onto it, and it's the first time anyone ever's tried to do that. And oh, they, really? they just about get away with it. But if you watch it expecting it, you can see that it looks really weird. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool though, that, isn't it? Yeah, that is pretty cool. I'll go and have a look at that. Yeah. Um, but so they they climb through the vents and they end up in the main hall, sort of the atrium, uh, climbing on these dinosaur bones this is another great scene with, with the raptors and the uh and the the people trying to keep away by climbing on these almost like a high wire act with dinosaur skeletons um just as it looks like all is lost like another one of the another one of the raptors just shows up by like comes under some tarpaulin doesn't it and just appears yes yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, i always found that strangely hilarious when it appears it sort of looks around like What's going on, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Guess who's here? <laughs> Guess who? <laughs> um, so they look like they're all they're all going to get eaten. They're surrounded. The raptors are about to attack, and then the tyrannosaur <sighs> shows up. Yeah, and starts taking names and kicking ass, <laughs> Kick, <laughs> kicking ass and taking names. It's um. Yeah, so it, it basically the Tyrannosaur barrels through these these raptors and kills them, and ends up roaring to the falling banner when dinosaurs ruled the earth. Um, what a great ending scene! What a yeah. fantastic ending scene that is! I yeah, loved it. It is amazing, and it's so amazing. It's amazing, and it it had to be amazing because it's amazing enough to allow me to not think about just how on earth this T-Rex has managed to turn up here. Is he, is he, is he, is he, it's inside a visitor centre. Has he crashed through a wall? Has he sort of shrugged down to get through a door? Has he no, teleported? Delivery bay, he mate. Delivery bay out the back where all that, that, where all that ice cream was melting. He's, he's yeah. gone through there. He's had a look at where at the uh, all the Jurassic Park merchandise got really angry because they haven't offered him a cut of it. Yeah. And then he's, right, I'm going to find the only room in this entire building that where I can actually... Stand up and uh, <laughs> ooh, velociraptors. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. We'll say he came in through a through a, yeah some large storage entry sort of delivery door. Uh, that sounds good to me. Um, so everyone bails to the helicopter. Uh, Hammond has this last glance at the park before he's sort of dragged away, which is quite a nice moment to end it. And then you've got. Grant and the kids on the helicopter, and like both the kids are sort of asleep in his arms, and Ellie's sort of looking at him, and Hammond's sitting there looking at his little 
Kane again. And then we see the <laughs> birds flying into the sunset as well. And it's all sort of come together with Grant's evolution and the dinosaurs' evolution and all this. Uh, you know, it's a lovely, lovely end, yeah. isn't it? Uh, very much, yeah. Great little kind of thematic uh, arrangement of stuff, yeah. Although, do we know the fate of Malcolm? Do they even mention it? Um, <laughs> no. And here's an interesting thing, is that I have repeatedly ripped on The Lost World, the second Jurassic Park movie, for yeah. having um, Vince Vaughn's character disappear halfway through the film. <laughs> yeah, he do, yeah. Because it's bollocks, right? Because how does one of the greatest film directors of the 20th century get away with doing that? You know, like, how do you, how do you think that's an appropriate way of treating a character that you bother to introduce? Yeah. Uh, but then he does the same with Ian Malcolm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right at the end of the film. I mean, he has been there for the whole film. Yeah. One assumes he got off. Yeah. Um, but uh, you're right, actually. I've been ripping on him for this, and I should have been ripping on him, ripping on him for that, and I should have been ripping on him for this as well. Do you reckon it might be um, sort of Crichton on set has said, you know, in, in the book he's written that Malcolm has died, and then it's yeah. sort of on set and, and Crichton's like, um, so I'm thinking of putting Malcolm in the next book. <laughs> and Spielberg's like, really? He's like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so he just sort of hedged his bets and thought, well, we just won't say anything about him. Though. He could have yeah, died. Yeah, he could have yeah. survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And, and so ends so ends Jurassic Park. Uh, great film with with a with a. I have to say, the closing shot of Jurassic Park is one of the best, like after cathartic, mm. chill endings. Beautiful sunset on the water, helicopter, and the piano version of the theme going over it. Like just yeah. really great closing to a film. Yeah. Okay, so that rounds up the sort of scene by scene look at Jurassic Park, the film. It's been weird doing this sort of for a film rather than a book, hasn't it? Very odd. Yeah, I don't feel nearly as faux intellectual as you might <laughs> Which tells you how pathetic my idea of intellectualism is, that, you know, telling naughty jokes over over the top of a beloved novel counts to me as intellectualism, but I definitely feel like we're a notch <laughs> below that when we do films. Yeah. So we, so we saw this together over the summer. So what did you think? As the credits rolled, um, straight after those birds just flying off into the distance, what was your sort of overriding impression of the film this time? Um, that I was very, very happy to finally have seen it on a big screen mm-hmm. and that I'm amazed at how how much of it is embedded in my head. Actually, yeah, though I was happy to see it on a big screen and it was fantastic, it wasn't transcendent. Like, it didn't completely blow my mind or make me totally reassess the whole film. Yeah. Because it's already that good that if I know it beat for beat and line for line, and I don't believe there's any part of it which, if you changed it, it would improve it. Mm. Like, everything seems to be, like, shaped together to make this great thing. The staging, the effects, the the acting, the dialogue, you know, inflections on individual words, the music, everything. Yeah. And it all... I was just, it was just bigger on a bigger screen. It was as great a film on a small screen, and there can't be very many films that you can say that about, really. Yeah. Let's, let's do a couple of character comparisons. Well, hang on, hang on. Well, 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 what, what would you think? What do you think? Let's, let's, get, the, let's get the Matt impression. Uh, well, you, you know what I'm going to say. Um, I've, every time I've seen this film, I've absolutely loved it since when I first saw it when I was 10 to, uh, to seeing it this summer. 
Uh, and yeah, it's still got, uh, like you quite rightly said, in places the CGI is a little ropey these days, but I mean, it is about 20 years old, this thing now. Um, but it still packs a real punch, and it's still a, just a great example of of this, uh, how to create the sort of ultimate summer blockbuster. And you can, mm. you can see that this idea of dinosaurs on people on screen, even though it's been around for 20 years now, you look at the reaction in the box office to Jurassic World, it's still a concept that is just so, so um, attractive to so many people, isn't it? And it's just, it has yeah. that wow factor. You think, wow, dinosaurs stomping around, chasing after people, this is going to be brilliant. It, ca- it can't not be. Um, yeah. Well, and even when in the case of Jurassic World, where it, it's definitely not mind blowing, hmm. it's still, you're still like, dinosaurs! Dinosaurs! <laughs> Yeah. Flipping dinosaurs! <laughs> um, I thought what we'd do next is just a, a very quick rundown of um, of characters, comparisons, book to film. Um, this is a, just a quick sort of um, quick fire round, if you like. So let's uh, start with Alan Grant. Do you prefer book Grant or film Grant? Oh, oh you can't just shit. Uh, uh, <laughs> you're killing me. Um, film Grant, film, Sam Neill. Yeah. Sam Neill, that, that wry little smile. Yeah. He, he brings yeah. something to it. I also think that, um, as we've said earlier on, I like the arc in in the film where he's got the I don't like kids and he evolves to you know what maybe I can settle down with some kids. Um, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Although rather strangely and sadly, like later on in later films, it gives the impression that never really happens for him, um, which is weird. <sighs> that is one of the of the manifold sins, Matt, of Jurassic Park three. <laughs> Robbing Alan Grant of a happy, a happy future full of fatherhood. Yeah. When I said when I said you can't make sort of dinosaurs stomping around after people not good. Jurassic Park three had a damn good at, like try at that, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, okay, yeah, I agree with that. So um, next to Ellie Sattler, film or book version? Do you prefer uh, film because she's she actually draws this. She's a very very believable character who is doesn't. She's a, a fantastic. I think a fantastic female character. Even though she's the only person in the film to cry in response to any kind of trauma, which I find unrealistic. Mm. Um, and you know there are a few moments where she's a little bit damsel in distress. By and large, she's the person walking out of the door holding a shotgun, saying, "I'm going to go and sort this out." And she's not doing it so she can live up to some sort of weird. Whatever the whatever the kind of action movie opposite of the manic pixie dream girl is, she's not doing it so she can be a a one dimensional kick ass woman. Mm. She's being an incredibly well rounded character. And again, I think like as good as good as my imagination is, I don't think I could put together a performance as good as Laura Dern's. So it's got to be the film. Right, I'd say for me, I'd give this a tie between the two Ooh. because I much prefer the. I think she's much more rounded in the film and actually more of a character she's a bit of a cipher in the book um, she doesn't really have a great deal mm. of personality herself does she it's just sort of mm. whenever yeah. i think of her in the book it's her in relation to things that are happening or what other people are doing um mm. but mm-hmm. i think her action sequence in the book being chased around by the raptors and jumping on the roof and all that stuff it is much better than anything like actioning in the film so i'd give it a tie <laughs> You are, you know what? That is a, that is an outstandingly good argument. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Her action sequences, such as they are, she does get that very claustrophobic. Holy shit! She's in a hole in the ground with a velociraptor 
sequence, yeah. which is good, but that's not really an action sequence for me. That's more of a thriller sequence. That's an outstanding thriller sequence. But you're right. Running, jumping, is she going to get in the swimming pool? <laughs> Has she, you know, hammering on a door that's locked on a roof, shinning up a drain pipe? Great stuff <laughs> in the book. Yeah. Uh, let's see, next up, let's let's go for, um, well, one that I think might bring, it's, it's currently sort of 3-1 to, hang on a minute, no. 2-0 to the... I can't hang on. Work this out. So, Grant gave two, two points for Grant, two. and then 1-1. One, one. So, 3-1. It's currently 3-1 to the film. All right, there we go. I think this there might bring it closer to parity. All film right. Gennaro or book Gennaro? Oh. 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 See, this is difficult, because book Gennaro is fundamentally sane at certain points, where film Gennaro is fundamentally weaselly. Um, and I find that more interesting. I also quite like that Book Gennaro kind of gets his ass handed to him for this kind of like, you need to take responsibility for what you've done thing, which was a thread that they totally left out of the movie, and fair enough. Yeah. Um, ooh. Oh, but he's so funny when he's on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, that scene makes it hard to not give it to Film Gennaro, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it to Butch. I'm gonna. It's a draw. Oh, really? Draw. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I would. I've got to give it Book Gennaro. Um, despite, even though there's the film get the, the the scene getting eaten on the toilet in the film, there's the, one thing I find it hilarious that he gets all his shit for it's all your fault when it's sort of it is kind of but also it feels a little unfair to him and I love that whole sequence at the end where he does seem to be the only sort of sane man still at the party <laughs> when they're going to run why and are wreck. we climbing into a hole full of dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. this is insane um, so I give and also he punches a raptor in the face in the uh, yeah the, legit the legit that's somebody who's decided to face up to his responsibilities <laughs> okay what so greater purity can there be Matt than the purity of the clenched fist <laughs> Okay, um, how about this one? Uh, book Nedry or Film Nedry? Oh. Ooh. I actually, in terms of a depiction, Wayne Knight is unbeatable. Yeah. In terms of an actual character, I found myself surprised by how sympathetic I was towards um, towards Dennis Nedry. Yeah. Like, it's almost like, it's like the ultimate client from hell scenario, really, where not only are your clients trying to get you to do loads of really complicated work for free and claiming it's your fault, but they've also got you trapped on an island in the tropics, which you can't leave and which is full of things that are trying to kill you. Yeah. It's <laughs> where's the danger money on my contract? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I, I would say Book Nedry, actually, as a, as a character himself. Yeah. What about, um, let's factor in the, the death scenes as well. These are very similar, aren't they, book to film? Oh, they are actually. Yeah, um, so yeah. there's probably not a lot um, to choose between them in, the, in in that sense with this character. I'm 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 going to say book because I think that death scene is far more horrifying when it's told from the perspective of a character who loses his sight halfway through it. Yeah. Instead of cutting away and there's there's you know kind of creepy creepy frill dragon thing in the car with him and then the car rocks back and forth and then the, the camera pans yeah. discreetly away looking for a PG rating. Um, yeah. So that's what I, th I think book still. What about you? Yeah, actually just on that, on that death scene with Nedry, do you know in the, mm. in the film where he drops the can of shaving foam and it, it sort of bounces mm. down the hill and then gets covered in mud? 
mm. as he's getting sort of ripped apart in the car. Apparently, yeah. Spielberg said that that was where he thought the sequel would go, like something yeah, to do that, with those embryos. You know what? You know what? I'm just going to do a little rhetorical strut, right? <laughs> just a little rhetorical. Do you know what? I very it. clearly remember. Called it when I was 10. <laughs> when I was 10. I remember having that conversation with somebody. Yeah. And we were both like, yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to be the things in the, the can, in the mud. And the, the. And I can't believe that Spielberg... Ba- That's such a sign of Spielberg's ability to make films for 10-year-old boys, isn't it? Because look at it objectively from a story perspective. Like, so, what, so your story is there was this huge company that had a really complicated, groundbreaking... Um, manufacturing process for previously unheard of beasts and it cost millions and there was a, there was a, a, an attrition rate of like 97% or something it was it was vicious and it was brutal and then more dinosaurs grew out of a can that was left in some mud on an island <laughs> because because life finds a way Matt yeah it would be. when there's a when there's a sequel to be had life finds a way <laughs> Um, I would say for Nedry, for me, I, I prefer film Nedry just simply because of just how how well he does the shifty. I'm just going for a can of coke uh, line. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> love that scene. So I have to give that is a that. great line. There's no denying that is a fantastic line. Okay, this is a this is a real. Oh, let's do this one next. Actually, uh, book Malcolm or film Malcolm? Tricky one. This. Oh. Book Malcolm for the book Malcolm for the philosophy, mm. but film Malcolm for Jeff Goldblum's wicked game. Yeah, well, you got to you got to choose which one has impressed you more, though. You can only give it. You can only give it. Film Malcolm. Film Malcolm. Film okay. Malcolm. Film Malcolm. Sorry, film Malcolm. You seen what he's like with his shirt off? My word. <laughs> yeah, I love Jeff Goldblum's performance as Malcolm, but I, I would give it book Malcolm just because. I, I love the sort of the, the discussions he uh, over this this whole discussion over sh- you know um, can humans control nature and should science yeah. try to do everything just because it can and oh yeah what happens next uh, what's the next step all those sort of philosophical arguments which I love about the book so much I think the vast majority of that flows through Malcolm so that for that reason I would yeah. I, I would give it him narrowly despite the superb. Jeff <laughs> Admit, I like you've taken the high ground there, haven't you? I'm talking about Jeff Goldblum with his shirt off, and you're like, yes, but you're not really getting into the philosophical underpinnings. <laughs> I'll tell you, actually, the um, if if we ever do the second book, I, there are some sequences in that where I think I will end up, I will end up heartily plumbing for um, <laughs> for that thing for you know using those characters as a as a way of talking about some stuff which I found, certainly at the time I was 14 or whatever, found incredibly interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and I think, I mean, nobody's pretending Michael Crichton's a terribly deep thinker or indeed, you know, that it's a proper treatise in, in philosophy. But, you know, Tom Clancy just gives you 95,000 pages on why the Republicans should always run America. Or <laughs> Michael Crichton gives you a consideration of mankind's place in deep time in the cosmos. You know, mm. I know which one I prefer. Yeah. Um, how about let's let's move on to the kids next. Uh, book Tim or film Tim? Um, film Tim. Yeah, I feel like book Tim's a bit of a cipher, really. Yeah. Film Tim was really really well done by Joseph Mazzello. Like just like really just absolutely nailed that kind of like 
like frail but surprisingly strong really interesting you know irritating but also you know kind of full of life great character yeah really great yeah um book lex or film lex this might be short oh, f- <laughs> film lex yeah film lex my word even if she wasn't written as a really irritating one-dimensional little sister character in the book yeah you know just the stuff that she even if she was quite well sketched in the book in the film she's all kinds of human and gave the world a generation of female computer scientists for that alone yeah you know you've got to say fantastic stuff yeah i i agree there and also because um she does a superb horror scream as well does the uh oh she does (laughs) put heart and soul into that hey um Ariana Richards, I think the reason that she stopped acting is that she knew she'd peaked. She knew that nobody was ever going to do as good a film scream ever again. Yeah. And she was just like, you know what? I've done it. Drops mic. Leaves room. (laughs) I actually just damaged the vocal cords and could not continue. Um, (laughs) That's pretty hard. (laughs) Also fairly believable. Uh, Okay, next up. uh, Film Arnold or Book Arnold? Sam Jackson brings the game, but we get more of Book Arnold. Which one are you going to go for? Well, Book Arnold is kind of a plot device so that there's always somebody in the room who knows how to use a keyboard. Yeah. Whereas Film Arnold, A, is played by Samuel L. Jackson. B, mutters code under his breath in such a way that it's compelling, and I don't know how (laughs) the hell he does that. And C, gets to deliver the line, hold on to your butts... (laughs) And then get away with just saying, um, <laughs> right? I'm sorry. How, how does this man not already have an Oscar? Yeah. Um, I've got to say, I absolutely, yeah, I, I do love, I mean, two of my favorite quotes from the film are, hold on to your butts and whatever it did, it did it all. But, um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm going to leave. Careful, lean... Matt. Go on. Well, I, Samuel L. Jackson, he's an intimidating man. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've seen Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think I'm going to give it. I think I'm going to give it uh, Book Arnold because I really like how he is just so sort of he's sort of the human part, the human sort of fallible part of this park system, and oh, interesting. a really good example of how you know it doesn't matter how good the system is if the person operating it is tired and making mistakes because say they've been working flat out for the last 48 hours or 36 hours without a break um things still go wrong and um mm. I, I just yeah there's something about that and the fact that we actually do get a death scene of him as well i give a, yeah that's true I'd yeah in the film on. in the film he's fairly well ushered out of it although again and i will say it for the fifth time not as peremptorily as Vince Vaughn was dumped out. <laughs> That's brilliant, yeah. At least you find out what happened to Arnold. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas Vince Vaughn might as well have just might as well just fallen off the plane. Where's where's um where's Nick Van Owen? Oh, I fell off the boat. <laughs> you, you gonna talk about it at all? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I saw in the trailer. This is a, a, a aside. Actually, we won't go into that because it's Jurassic, Jurassic Park Two. We'll do it. All we'll right, do it when it comes right, round. We'll, we'll, we'll do it yeah. later. Later. Um, okay. Book Hammond or Film Hammond? Oh. Oh, well, Film Hammond, you can't vote against Richard Attenborough, but on the other hand, Book Hammond is a much better antagonist. Yeah. And he's actually a very well-sketched total arsehole. Hmm. Um, I'm, for that alone, I'm going to go Book Hammond, actually. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, as great as Richard Attenborough is, isn't it? Um, I think the, the, the darker side of Hammond is just so interesting, and you only really see that in the book, don't you? 
Yeah. Well, it's also it's, it's another part of this whole kind of critique of capitalism thing that with with the the stuff that Genera has to cop for as well. You know, you're kind of you have to live up to the implications of what you've paid for here. Yeah. Um, Hammond's another image of that. You know, it's a Jurassic Park. The film is a book about how cool dinosaurs are and about, you know, um, impromptu families coming together about human survival and about feminism. Mm. Um, but it's not about capitalism. And the book manages to be about capitalism as well, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, this is a we've got a couple here who don't really feature much in the film. So but we'll try, do them anyway. Uh, book Henry Wu or film Henry Wu that don't, don't include the black polar neck in Jurassic World. Jurassic World. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, in that case, uh, away from the creepy Botox and the, the somehow the the he looks weird, Matt. I'm sorry, he looks odd. Um, away from all of that, um, film film Wu. Just for just for his yeah, a performance summed up completely by the sarcastic raising of a pencil. Yeah, genius. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for for Book Wu because there's just so much more to him. And um, yeah, again, yeah. there's a lot to, uh, to to like about the the sort of discussions over version 4.4 and things like that. So I'll, I'll go for go for the book. Uh, book or film Harding is <laughs> probably one of the easier <laughs> ones. <laughs> um. Book Harding in that he is a character rather than a flashlight and a moustache. <laughs> yeah, okay. I agree with that. I didn't particularly like uh, the way he was portrayed in the film either. Um, okay, uh, we've got one more character. Do you know who it is? <laughs> is it Ed Regis? <laughs> oh, he's Dodgson, isn't it? No, it's not, actually, it's neither of those. But um, uh, I didn't... <laughs> Ed, okay, Ed Regis. <laughs> I suppose we, we can't compare because he's not in the film, but we can compare sort of his character who takes his place in terms of the death. So, eaten on a bog or um, play, toyed with and killed by juvenile Tyrannosaurus Rex. Which one do you think is the worst <laughs> way to go? <laughs> <laughs> Most entertaining way to go, it, it's the film. I was actually going to say that even though he's not in the film, I prefer the film version because I find the character in the book so irritating. <laughs> okay. Uh, Oh, let's do Dodgson. Book or film? He's uh, hardly in either, though, isn't he? Uh, that's true, yeah. So we're just, yeah. so just, so we're just not... We'll refuse to participate yeah. in that one. Let's cut that out. Yeah. Uh, got one one more. Uh, book Muldoon or film Muldoon? Um... <laughs> Book Muldoon because he manages to be a badass whilst absolutely toasted all the way through. I, just, I, I love the fact that he goes from being like, I can handle a shotgun and I am the man here, to bloody hell, I'm hammered. Give me that shotgun. You know, like just, just, the, just the whole kind of the sight of a child of the empire completely coming apart of the scenes in the face of. <laughs> an animal he can't shoot and kill I find quite entertaining really. <laughs> yeah I agree much as it pains me because he's my favourite uh, character in the film and I love yeah, the way I mean, Bob, Bob Peck we salute yeah. you right uh, but yeah I go for, for Buck Muldoon for the fact he yeah, brings down a Tyrannosaurus Rex and shoots a couple of Velociraptors without even sort of bashing, batting an eyelid um, mm. I'll give him that uh, so I've kind of tried to keep score. I think from my very rough calculating, it's film 16, book 14. So close, but film nicks it. Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, um, it's not really well, very scientific, but, you know. 
<laughs> Sorry, Michael. <laughs> Sorry. I, go elsewhere if you need scientific reviews. These are subjective reviews. Yes, yes, quite. Okay, well, never mind our, our own views. It's time to move on to uh, the very best from the world of feedback and, of course, the, the wider internet, because I do like to, to go and find a few from all over. So um, a few reviews of the film that I've got from a couple of websites. Right. Um, the first, I'll go through a few five starers first. The first one's from Robin, and it's short and sweet. Five stars. Good film. That's Robin. <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. That's the most... I've got 20 quid, says he's from the north of England. Right. How was it? It was good, yeah. It was, yeah, good. It was all right. If it was from the north, I'd say it was all right. It was all right. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's how that's how impressive it was <laughs> that he's sitting there and he uh, honestly, I've been waiting back and forth. Yeah, and it was good that he's, re- he's reached for the superlative good film, <laughs> <laughs> and he's found the most It was good that. Okay, uh, Bill makes more of an effort. Uh, Bill says. This is what fantasy movie making is all about, to take the viewer deep into an incredible alternative world for a couple of hours and to be so completely absorbed that you forget about everything else. Sheer brilliance. Oof, well said. Uh, Ellison. uh, A man has created a way to create dinosaurs. He has an amusement park to show the dinosaurs off and needs a doctor to approve the park. One of the employees wants to make some cash and that causes a problem. The people run for their lives. That's it. (laughs) This is so the plot, the plot, the plot! Exclamation mark! I do like, I do like that as the plot in four lines. I quite like the one of the employees wants to make some money, and that causes a problem. It's probably the biggest understatement I've ever heard. <laughs> it sounds like there's a problem in sort of the bank transaction, but you know, it's something a bit more serious than that. <laughs> Deary me, yeah, I, I quite, I, I don't know, that's a fairly good piece of minimalist storytelling. It's, I, I can imagine that being the sort of shot for shot kind of storyboard script for like a, 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 a claymation remake of it, like a stop motion animation kind of, and you're just waiting for the bit where you get to animate the people run, <laughs> ah, run away. Okay, we've got some. Um... Some fools who've stepped up to put this put, to slap a one star review on this. Um, I'll try and contain my rage. Okay, <laughs> like, should we? Should we? We'll top this with with the statement hashtag troll. <laughs> these people, these people are the juvenile T Rex <laughs> of internet reviews. Yeah, uh, we start off with milkshake. Starts with a bad name and basically goes downhill from there. Um, <laughs> She says, oh, hey. "I'm loving this. This is fantastic. I'm loving seeing you get 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 out of bent out of shape. <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you?" Yeah. He or she says, uh, "Them dinosaurs don't look like real ones to me. Rubbish." Uh, that, that's Milksake's verdict. Um, <laughs> I like I like this one. This is Martha's review. One star. I I imagine Martha to be about I don't know, like ninety or something. Awful film. The only thing that happens are dinosaurs viciously attack and kill humans. Very predictable. Should be classified as a 15. The jokes and special effects are stupid and cheesy. How can people actually think this is entertainment? It's very unrealistic, violent and traumatising. Overall, an awful film. Oof! Yeah. 
Those words come unminced. <laughs> My word. Um, well, um, um, when you say predictable, <laughs> uh, are you saying that they should just have made friends? There should, there should have been like a, a groundbreaking $150 million depiction of, yeah. you know, very, very slowly teaching a T-Rex to communicate by waggling its left arm a little bit <laughs> or its right arm a little bit further down or like attempting to teach a T-Rex sign language or something in order, like, like Jane Goodall with... <laughs> Planet of the T-Rexes. No, 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 no. If there, Can you imagine if they'd have made a dinosaur movie and the dinosaurs just sort of hung around in the background and the whole film would have been people sitting in the, the Land Cruisers, uncrushed and unsullied, going, now, of course, it's very important that we're very quiet because <laughs> dinosaurs are very shy and of course we never attack another <laughs> fuck off this isn't a david attenborough thing do you, do you, it's not a david attenborough thing it's a richard attenborough thing do you, hey? do you reckon she thought she'd brought she'd bought walking with dinosaurs i'm gonna make there are people here oh no. oh no no <laughs> No, I, the blood, I think, the I, dismembered goat legs. Oh. I think with the very predictable, I reckon as soon as sort of they got in the line cruiser setting out, she just sort of sat back and just went, well, the lawyer's going to end up getting eaten on the toilet, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Saw that one coming my way. <laughs> Moving on now, let's watch Memento, which I anticipate I know everything about. <laughs> I also find it strange how she calls it both very unrealistic and traumatizing. I'm not sure I've ever been traumatized by anything that's completely unrealistic. That's very true as well. Mm. Also, traumatizing is quite a strong word to use there. I mean, are we mm. are we talking about like I mean? Are dinosaurs alive and well and living in Eastbourne and, and it's bringing back some fairly difficult memories for her or something? Yeah. Like, I, mm, I'm not certain the word traumatising would be quite correct there. Yeah. Now, hold on to your butts because this, this, this is a cork over one star from Ramsey. All right. Um, Ramsey says... Ramsey? Yeah. I'm predisposed to dislike him. Yeah. You carry on. Ramsey says, this film is silly. Who says what colour dinosaurs were? And then he goes... <laughs> Then he goes on to say, "They're not. That's, that's your on ramp. <laughs> they're not so special effects that everyone raved about are terrible. Bob Hoskins did it better in Roger Rabbit with proper eye contact too. <laughs> Is he under the impression that there were going to be fucking musical numbers? <laughs> Jessica T Rex turns out to be a very very beautiful human woman who's animated. Like what the." I love how in, in Jurassic Park you have a problem with the lack of eye contact between dinosaurs and people. Yeah, you really want, you know, human moments. Witty, zinging, 1930s noir-style repartee between Bob... I'm, I'm not saying it wouldn't have benefited from having Bob Hoskins in it. Every film would benefit from having Bob Hoskins in it. But... No, eye contact? She's not fucking Mary Poppins. You've not got a T-Rex on his finger singing to it like a bluebird. <laughs> whistling in unison. He's trying to eat his face. There's not much time for... And, 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 by the way, actually there is a moment of eye contact with a dinosaur with the shiny light on the T-Rex eye <laughs> and the constricting iris. So, bollocks. Yeah. No, 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 in the in the car. When Lex has got the... She's oh, sorry, paralyzed yeah, yeah, with fear yeah, and she's got the light shining out of the thing and the T-Rex comes down and it... Yeah. Um, <laughs> the next one. 
I mean, this is... How many more of these are there? I'm astonished you've managed to find more than two uh, bad opinions about Jurassic Park on the internet. This is the final one-star one I've got, and I've got one more five-star, but I'll save that to the very end. Um, right, right, This right. is from Grimm, and um, it's the most... You, uh, you guaranteed to not have read a review like this before, or heard a review like this before of Jurassic Park. This was off the Amazon website, which might give us a, a clue as to what may have happened to you. Maybe some kind of mix-up. <laughs> but Grimm says of uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, blockbuster classic Jurassic Park, Cellar was great, arrived next day, but can't see it ever boiling anything. Water was heated enough to make hottish cup of coffee. We'll plumb for Tilly option next door, outdoors purchase. If I was freezing on the side of a mountain, maybe I'd be happy to have it. So that's uh, Grimm's thoughts on Jurassic Park. Don't know if you've got um, anything to add there. I sense, I sense that Graham may not internet. <laughs> I sense that may be what's going on here. Yeah, if you're looking for a, a great hot cup of coffee, a DVD of Jurassic Park probably isn't the the best thing to go for. So you can't really argue against that. Um, we've got a bit of feedback to get through as well. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. Now we've had we've had some from Max, uh, regular podcast listener and uh, friend of the cast. Hello, Max. Hello, Max. Uh, Max uh, says that he he agrees. Um, hang on a minute. He, he says he recently read reread Jurassic Park, so he's talking more about the the book than the film. But we'll we'll squeeze it in here. Um, oh, for one, he agrees with with you, Dave, and me to some extent about the surprise and general confusion over the the voice you are hearing is Richard Kiley. We spared no expense. Uh, who the hell is he? Um, so, yeah. and th- th- this guy lives in America, so. You know, if Max has never heard of him... He, he knows stuff. Yeah. Well, especially Richard Kiley stuff. Yeah. I thought I thought it was one of, the, it'd be one of those things where we'd have people in America just saying, oh, yeah, Richard Kiley. He's massive. Obviously. Obviously <laughs> not. Um, <laughs> Clearly not, no. Uh, hold on to your butts here, because... Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how Max has come across this. Probably best not to ask too many questions, but Max says, back in the early 2000s, there was a hilarious joke website that was making the rounds. I don't know if you guys saw it. I certainly didn't, and Dave, I don't think you heard. I'd be surprised. It was the, you ready? International Jurassic Park Erotic Fan Fiction Writers Association. Oh, mother of God. (laughs) Mother of... Deary me. It had a tiled background of a dancing T-Rex with nuclear colours, and there was lens flares following the mouse around. Um, the stories are all hilariously named. This is, now, this is a surprisingly <laughs> in-depth description of the site, Max. Uh, they, they, uh, no, the best part... I'm not, I'm not judging, mate. You know, I, 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 I like reading fictionalised accounts of <laughs> T-Rexes gently caressing the horns of Triceratops, <laughs> it, the crests of Pachycephalosaurs, as much as the next book. <laughs> In defence of Max, I think he may have just sort of stumbled upon it, had a chuckle, and then sent it on to us. But, um, well, well, yeah, but for which service, by the way, I am grateful. <laughs> Do not misunderstand me. This is gold. <laughs> um, I'm not going to go and visit it just now, because, uh, you know... Well, it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, does it not? But, oh, it'd be on the Wayback Machine, hold on, I assume. Uh, possibly, but uh, we don't even need to do that because he, he's gone above and beyond the Call of Duty Max here. It seems that somebody has archived them and the amazing visual design. Oh, no, the, the design's been lost to antiquity. But he has sent a link 
which, when you open, starts playing this weird sort of synthy Jurassic Park music. <laughs> oh, no, really, it's got autoplay MIDI. Just to give you a flavour of it, I'll read you a couple of the names of, uh, of the stories. Um, Trallysaurus Rex, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, there's... Ray's raunchy relief, which I think relates to Ray. Oh, nobody needs that. <laughs> Deary me. There's a big finish. The, oh. There's what's 25 feet tall and comes in pints. <laughs> and, oh, no. What? And my personal favourite. Gone. <laughs> and my um, personal favourite. Hammond fisted. Oh, 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 dearie me! I, I, I'm not, I'm not promised I have to read any yet. For the titles alone, yet don't use the word yet. Run away, Matt! Run away! Um, so I, I, I tell you what, I had, I had previously doubted. Have you heard of Rule Thirty Four of the Internet? No. Rule 34 of the internet. If you can imagine it, there's porn of it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think, what's it called? The Jurassic Park Jiggly Pants, what is it? It's, it's called. What's the name of the site? The, the Jurassic Park Erotic Fun Fiction Writers Association. <laughs> I like that it's an association as well. Like, it's, it's a, a collection of serious writers truly committed <laughs> to the cause of erotica featuring dinosaurs. Yeah. It, um, it, it's, a, it's a travesty uh, that there are only about ten stories. To be. <laughs> there were only ten stories. Tell you what, that was the infancy of the internet. These yeah. days, there'd be billions of the facts. Yeah. Honestly, dearie well, me. All right, okay. Well, Max, uh, thanks. Thank you very much for that. Um, thanks for. I think it's the first feedback I've ever had that's baby cry with laughter. So, um, <laughs> <we're living that. laughs> he's usually dead inside, Max. Well done. Mate. Well done. <laughs> um, we're, we've also I've noticed. In the Shark with Royal account, if you want to get involved, um, anything we've read so far or reading in the future, Shark with Royal podcast at gmail.com is where to send it to. But um, obviously, obviously, we go through the feedback that gets sent to to the address. But also, there's a junk section where I, I was suddenly worried that maybe some of our listener feedback has been inadvertently and accidentally diverted to the junk folder. So I, I had an, I opened it up to see what I could find. And we've got a bit of feedback. I don't think it's, it's, it's not regarding Jurassic Park, but uh, Dave, I don't know if you want to get involved in this. It's an offer. Um, it oh, it right. begins, hello, my beloved one, I need your assistance. This is to the oh, Shark well, Royal uh, podcast. So, hang on, hang on a minute. Let me just, right, sorry. Yeah. Clearly this is quite serious. I'm, um, well, well, I'm engaged. Well, they've embarrassed themselves there already because there are two of us, but carrying on. <laughs> Please, but maybe, maybe, maybe they they think that we sound so similar. Maybe, maybe so perfect is the choreography of our our witticisms that they've come to think of Shark Liver Royal itself, yeah. as an individual. Could be. Um, they say, please bear with me. I'm writing or this. Maybe they know it's only you who check the email account. Yeah, Sorry. that's true. <laughs> yeah. um, they say, please bear with me. I'm writing this mail to you with tears and sorrow from my heart. Oh, so, dear. so get ready. Oh, I should mention here, we get the name. Um, this might sound a familiar name. I am Aisha Muammar Gaddafi. Um, don't know if you recognise uh, that name. 
<laughs> what? The surname sounds vaguely familiar from international. Mid- middle name too has a certain ring to mm. it, doesn't it? Um, so I, this was sent recently. <laughs> this was sent uh, in August. Um, so this is Colonel Gaddafi, he of the Green Book, reaching out to us from beyond the grave. No, 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 no. Because um, we goes on in the rest of that sentence. The only daughter of the embattled president of Libya, Muammar uh, Gaddafi. Embattled? <laughs> I should fucking say so. He's been dead for five years. Yeah. Well, it turns out, Dave, that um, that his his daughter is. Uh, has got a, basically, long story short, an account in Burkina Faso with $5.8 million oh. in there. Um, I, I wonder how she got $5.8 million that far across the world's biggest and most terrifying desert. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder why that was the most convenient safety deposit box. Yeah. Because you would have thought that Rome being about a 45-minute flight away probably would have been a safer bet, wouldn't you? Yeah. But no, Bikina Faso, no, fair enough. Africa, obviously, as we know, is all one place. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah. yeah. All right. She says, sorry for my pictures. She's not sent any pictures, so she's let herself well, down I think again. That's a, that's a mercy, yeah. isn't it? Um, and she also says, uh, basically, if we give her a bit of a hand, we can get a slice of this 5.8 million bucks. Hey, um, I'll tell you what we could do, Matt. We... We could make a Jethinkisaurus. Well, we could do that. With this no, with this money, Matt, Matt, <laughs> dare to dream. Uh, the, 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 we could... I found the snag, though. She says, oh. I'm in search of an honest and reliable person to help. I mean, uh, we, we're neither. So, Well, we, 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 we're honest and reliable persons, plural, so yeah. she only wants one of us. She, her account's going to be frozen and all that. Well, best, best, Aisha, thanks for listening. I'm glad you can still get a signal. Wherever you are, yeah. I think she's in some camp yeah. in Burkina Faso. But oh, ho- yeah, hopefully, because she escaped there from Libya, obviously. Yeah, hopefully, while you're waiting for the yeah. for the funds to clear and for someone who's a bit more reliable than ourselves to uh, to get, you know, to get that five point eight million over to a safe account. Um, in the meantime, I've listened to to a few more short lived roles. We've got some some good stuff on Game of Thrones. Um, if you like that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. a bit of political intrigue. Yeah, but- We've got uh, we've got some stuff on Jurassic Park, obviously, which you, I'm sure you've been listening to since you sent sent this during August. Uh, but plenty plenty of other stuff on there, and um, yeah, thanks for the feedback and keep listening. Um, yeah, yeah, cheers. You know, if you've got any, uh, you don't have to be sort of the the daughter of a, a deposed and, and, and killed leader of a, a you know North African state. You can be just a regular podcast listener. Get in touch, uh, SharkLiveRoyalPodcast at gmail dot com, and uh, we will read it out. Um, on on this podcast, we're an equal opportunities feedback podcast, aren't we? Yeah. More of that from the and if there's money in it for us, so much the better. Yeah, more of that from the both the junk and non junk folder of feedback as we carry on through Short Live Royal. But uh, thanks very much for listening to the the what's been basically a marathon Jurassic Park film podcast. We're clocking up about three hours. Epic, the size map of a brontosaurus. Yeah, all that's left. Is for our final five star review. This is from John Bob the Great. <laughs> <laughs> and John Bob the Great says, uh, "Never knowing me under song. <laughs> I've grown up with the film and I've seen it so many times. I know the script backwards, but I still notice little bits which make it better every time. It's great for the first time and the hundredth time." John Bob, you're absolutely right, and uh, I couldn't agree yeah. more. It's, you know. It doesn't matter how many times you see this film. A great film's a great film, isn't it? And uh, Jurassic Park, yeah. for me, certainly falls into that category. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's been fantastic. 
Yeah, so that's us done. Uh, next week, if you're listening to the Shortly Royal feed, um, you can... Oh, if you've clung on this long, okay. Let me tell you. If you follow us on at Shortly Royal, I will tweet the link. Dare you click on it to the... Uh, what oh. was it called? The official... Jurassic Park Erotic Fan Fiction Association. I can't believe you're going to do that. Yeah, well, pe- I, people listen uh, now will be like, I am kind of curious. And if you are, at Shortlive Royal on the Twitter, give us a follow and you will find the link. Which... Can we at least tag it with, with you know, NSFW, yeah. like not safe for work, or indeed not safe for work, home, train, bike... <laughs> It's, Planet. Oh yeah, it'll, not safe. Not safe anywhere. NSA. Yeah, right. it'll have all the help. Oh no, ones. that'll get us followed, won't it? No, never mind. That. Yeah, we've already mentioned Gaddafi, so we're we're playing with fire as it is. Um, so next week we will be moving swiftly on to um, an, an Agatha Christie book, which I've never I've yeah. never read any Agatha Christie before. It's a murder mystery, and I've never read it before. So. Um, even if you don't read the book, it might be quite fun listening to me flail around in the dark, accusing people left, right, and centre who have nothing to do with the murder. Uh, but that'll be next week. Uh, if you're following the, to get that, you need to follow the Shark Live Royal uh, podcast feed. We've also got the Jurassic Shark podcast feed, which you may be following this on. And obviously, this will just give you the Jurassic Park stuff we do. We will at some point in the future. Uh, probably would probably be a good six months or so, maybe slightly less. We will do the Lost World by Michael Crichton, and that will appear yes. on the obviously the the normal feed where you get everything, which is Shark Liver Oil podcast and the Jurassic Shark feed. Okay, that's us done, Dave. There we go. Until next time, it's been a pleasure. Until as always. next time, Matt. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely.